Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Well, Tom Brady and the Bucks have done it. They have beaten the Chiefs. They have vanquished the champions. Tom Brady's got his seventh Super Bowl. And let's face it, that Bucks defense <laughs> deserved the MVP. Brady was fine. He was good. But that Bucks defense was overwhelming. To keep Kansas City out of the end zone, limit them to three field goals, I don't think any of us thought that was possible. Uh, I think, you know, the fact that the game is a three-and-a-half-point spread, I think a lot of people thought Tampa Bay could do it. I don't think many people thought Tampa Bay could win in a blowout. I certainly didn't. I thought that was the least likely outcome, and yet it's the one we got. A complete and total just dismantling. Now, obviously the Chiefs' offensive line, makeshift as it was, was overrun. Possibly, Tampa Bay would have overrun the Chiefs' line if they hadn't lost their left tackle in the AFC title game. We'll never know. Um, you know, Kansas City, for all the problems protecting Mahomes, they, they did move the ball. They got close enough for three field goals. They were uh, down in, you know, relatively close to scoring position a couple other times. Went for it on fourth down because it was late in the game. So, you know, you have five chances to score and you kick three field goals. And you look at the the Bucks, and they had six chances to score, and they scored four touchdowns, kicked a field goal, and got stuffed at the one-yard line and turned it over on downs. So, you know, can you finish drives? How good are you in the red zone? And sometimes in the NFL, a little outside the red zone. Um, you know, if you're down at the 30, you still got to find a way to get it in the end zone, and the Bucks did. And the Chiefs did not, and that's the end of that. So Brady's got uh, a Super Bowl MVP award for the fifth time. He's got a championship for the seventh time. He says he'll come back. He's now got more titles than Jordan. He's now got more titles than Elway and Montana combined. I mean, it just goes, it just goes on and on. The Bucks have their second Super Bowl. That's something. They went back in 02. So for a relatively young franchise, they started in 76. Um, you know, I think, what, there were 26 teams. 26 of 32 teams were in the league before them, and Seattle came in with them. There are four teams have come in later. So, uh, good for the Bucs. You know, they get it done, but obviously Brady the story. And for the Chiefs, so close yet so far. Uh, Andy Reid doesn't go back-to-back. He would have been the seventh coach to do it. He's the, I think, 12th to be in three Super Bowls. Uh, you know, they'll try again next year. They're already the favorites again. And then Green Bay and Tampa Bay in the NFC. So, we'll see how this plays out. We've had one big quarterback trade. We'll We'll see what Breeze does and what the Saints do for a quarterback, and we'll see what the Packers do. Assume Rodgers is going to be back there, and what the heck happens with Deshaun Watson. Does, does he, like Tom Brady, go to a decent team and make him a great team? Or does he just stay in Houston and they try to rebuild? There's a lot to, uh, a lot to figure out there. The other game, the Jazz. They won. They win again. The Jazz, four in a row, 15 out of 16. They are looking good. And, and you know the reason they really look good? is because they didn't look good. They did not look good. They did not play their game against the Pacers. You hate to use fatigue as a reason or as an excuse. Sometimes it is a reason, and it's easier to throw it out there when they won. Uh, but they missed a lot of threes. There were a lot of open shots that were short. They were good shots. They were the shots they wanted. They were shots they're supposed to take, and they missed them. And they missed many of them short. Some of them were long because the shot was flat, but same problem, legs. And, you know, three games in 72 hours after the back-to-back, they had a day off, but then they had to play early. And I thought they did a great job in the third quarter of getting to the rim, and early fourth quarter, too. Different guys getting to the rim. Clearly, Donovan Mitchell went in there looking to find Rudy Gobert, and he did. And Joe Ingles got to the hoop, and Bogdanovich got to the hoop, and Clarkson gets there, and sometimes he shoots labs, and sometimes he plants a foot and pivots and shoots an eight-foot fall away. But he gets in close, and uh, 
you know, the, the percentage weren't great, but they got enough points, and they defended. They defended, you know. It, <laughs> they only lost one quarter in that game, and they held Indiana to 95 points. And these days in the NBA, 95 is going to be a winning number. You hold your opponent to 95 points, you're going to win a lot of games. You might lose a flukish game once in a while. Uh, just for example, yesterday, three teams failed to break 100 points, and they all got beat. Charlotte beat Washington 119-77. Phoenix beat Boston 100-91. The, the most important score for the Jazz was that the Clippers got beat again. Sacramento beat them 113-110, so the Jazz pick up another game worth of separation there over the uh, Clippers, who they've got to play twice later this month. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Steve Young. Yes, we had him on the air late in the show Friday. He's a hard guest to get. He's got a lot of opinions on BYU, a lot of opinions on NFL quarterbacks. We're going to play that interview for you next, and then the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. We had Steve Young on late in the show on Friday. We want to replay it for you, some of the Super Bowl stuff. We know now Andy Reid didn't go back-to-back. But a lot of his takes on NFL quarterbacks, uh, staying put, demanding trades, uh, playing past 40, uh, he's got a lot of takes. I mean, he, he's an NFL MVP and Super Bowl champ, so his take on quarterbacks are always interesting. From Deshaun Watson to Aaron Rodgers to Tom Brady, uh, he, he had a lot of opinions. And we talked to him, uh, some BYU football, right off the top. And including BYU's quarterback. What kind of NFL quarterback is he going to be? And where's Taysom Hill going? And how's it going to play out in New Orleans? Here is Steve Young with PK and I from Friday on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Morning, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Really good. We got a long, long list of questions for you. (laughs) I'm ready. Okay. Uh, We got a lot of answers. Nice, I like it. Uh, I want to. I want to talk to you Super Bowl, but I know with ESPN you'll be talking some Super Bowl, and this is a chance to hear your take on some BYU stuff. And I'm curious uh, when you look at Zach Wilson, what does he got the NFL loves? What does he have to do better to be successful when he gets out on the field in the NFL? Well, what he showed was, you know, if, if Patrick Mahomes is the king of 2021, and or really the 2020s, right? If you think about the NFL that has become more college-like than ever. It's wide open. Um, it's a lot less sophisticated because there's uh, of the rules, because the players and coaches don't get together as much. It's much more like college. It's spring ball and a summer camp and, and play ball. And uh, so for Zach, um, you know, he's going to be running the offenses that he played in college, and that's what's, you know, that's why Kyler Murray's got some success. Uh, even Lamar Jackson with the sophisticated running game. You know, the, the NFL is just completely, it's just different. And uh, and so for Zach, um, this, the, the challenge is just to get on a good team. It could be good coaching and, and help them out because every quarterback needs help. And you can't go somewhere where you're not going to get the help. And uh, that's always the struggle of trying to, uh, being drafted high can you get to a team that's decent, that uh, can show your talents? Because one thing about Zach, 
that everybody loves, and I think that's why he's, the, you know, people get more and more excited, is you could see that the more they asked of him, the better he got. And that's the quality that, and, and, the, and the physical qualities that were much, much like Patrick Mahomes, with the arm strength, throw it anywhere, run around, and the presence. There's a sense that Zach, you know, um, Patrick is a guy that came into the league and maybe because of his dad playing pro ball, uh, baseball, it just didn't feel like he had a much of a transition to, you know, the, the anxiety that's usually there and the hurdles you have to go over. It's like he just was at peace. And he played completely. You know, that's when you can get the full measure of who you are when you're at peace. And it usually takes a few years to get there. And Patrick was there right away. And Zach has that quality. It feels like it's from college. And the, and the physical talents um, put together is why people have gotten really excited. And, in fact, you know, uh, some scouts, uh, you know, there's just no limit in their minds what he can do. Now, the challenge is, uh, what he, you know, if you said to me, what do you got to watch out for? Well, people have kind of clung on to this idea that, you know, all quarterbacks get to be captains. All quarterbacks kind of run the team. And Zach wasn't a captain. And so I tell people, well, you got to understand, at BYU – got a lot of very mature return missionaries that are you know you know great leaders and, and you know it's not like you know, it's not it's, it's not necessarily a, a, a knock on Zach um, and Zach is young and young looking and so people sometimes feel like well how how much grit does he really have and, uh, stuff that you just there's no reason to think it but it's just to get to find something to talk about so for me Zach has very little downside right now and tremendous upside. On the other end of it, Steve, uh, with Zach being a protected high draft pick, an undrafted free agent who has a world of athletic ability just like yourself that you had is Taysom Hill, and we're assuming that Drew Brees is going to be done, maybe not, but nevertheless there's going to be a time that they're going to need a new quarterback in New Orleans. How do you view and analyze Taysom Hill as a potential starting quarterback in the NFL? Uh, I... <laughs> Taysom is such a unique player, but the game has come to Taysom just as it's come to Kyler Murray and come to Lamar Jackson. And, like, the NFL has, like I said, it's changed so much, but the game has, has really made a space for Taysom Hill at quarterback. Now, the key is, as, as Taysom plays more, the thing he did this year was he started, played some quarterback, threw the ball well, and won some games. And that's that's what you got to do. So there's no reason why the Saints can't turn to Taysom and say, look, let's, let's give you a crack at it. And it's going to be tough to replace Drew Brees because everybody will remember everything great that Drew, uh, Drew did, and they'll never remember what he didn't do. They'll think that he never threw an incompletion, he never threw an interception, he never lost a game. And so that's always, that's always tough. I went through it. And uh, and so, so that's an extra challenge. But Taysom, to me, is ready for it. And uh, with a great coach, again, quarterbacks need help. And New Orleans certainly is a place where you're going to get that help. Steve Young joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're seeing a lot of drama all of a sudden uh, with quarterbacks in the NFL. 
Um, you were in San Francisco, obviously, as Joe Montana was getting late in his career, so you just referenced some of the drama there. How much of that do you see in Green Bay with what's going on with Aaron Rodgers, and how do you think that will play out? How should it play out? There's a lot of Aggie fans listening who are big, uh, you know, big yeah. fans of the backup. Right. So uh, right now, no. There's no drama. It's just the drama of Aaron voicing his frustration, being gutted by a loss that he really wanted and needed. Aaron's at a point now in his career where it's really Super Bowls and, you know, that's really it, which I understand, and that's good. That's good for the Packers, right? That's what you really want, and that's what really makes a difference. Uh, and so when he didn't get there, when they were home, uh, you know, he voiced frustrations. And I'm sure there's some – look, I, I've said for years I just felt like the Packers haven't supported Aaron uh, with the help that he needs. feels like if Aaron gets a little defense and a couple of guys, he can go anytime. And he just couldn't find it, couldn't get the protection and just kind of – and, and I think Aaron has those – you know, he hears that and understands that and, frust- and the frustrations will come out. Not that things aren't, you know, perfect. There's no nowhere that's perfect. And that's what Aaron also realizes, too. You know, a few days later, he calms down. Uh, he goes on, uh, what's his name, show, um, well, the old punter and, you know, his buddy. And he says, look, no, you're right. I'm fine. And I'm I'm here. And like, There's no way that there's any problem with Aaron Rodgers playing in Green Bay and playing, unfortunately for Jordan, for a long time. The NFL is now safer, quarterback-friendly. It's an unfair fight between offense and defense. So for experienced, athletic, great quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, you can play forever. And you know, Tom Brady's proving that. And, uh, and so Aaron can play till he's 43. He can. And, there's, and so that's why for Jordan, I mean, it's just so you just don't know when you know, the Packers can choose at any point, I guess, to force the issue. But I don't see that. Aaron Rodgers is, you know, the best or the second best or the third best or the not much worse than that player in the league. There's no, you know, if you're Jordan Love, you're you're just playing catch right now. There's nothing you can do about it, and it's not a really good spot. And the league is not built for you to be taking over for a quarterback that's getting old because getting old doesn't matter anymore. So that's a bummer. So Deshaun Watson, quarterbacks who've been as successful as he he is at the age he is at, uh, they don't usually move. He seems dead set on it. They understandably don't want any part of giving him up, at least publicly. Is he sensing a problem in the front office and thinking this place is just critically, just completely flawed and i got to get out because i got no chance here? What, where do you think his beef really is, and how far is he going to push the envelope to make something happen? I don't know. There's something wrong down there. There's something, I mean, there's something amiss. And that's from an owner's perspective. Uh, I mean, thinking about owner, sure, because the coach is gone now. There's something wrong with the coach. I mean, something was not, it was, it was a miss. And I think when he saw DeAndre Hopkins leave and – you know, leaders leaving, and I know there's just there's there's elements of discord that quarterbacks smell. And then if you're smart, you say, "Look, what can I do about it? And what should I?" And I think that Sean is is a if there's five guys in the 2020s at quarterback, they're going to make a difference. He's one of them. 
So if the Texans are that dysfunctional and they can't literally hold on to their quarterback, because you can, the only way you lose a quarterback is if the quarterback's willing to either become toxic. Like Aaron Rodgers, if he wanted to poison the well and just tell you everyone, I'm out of here and I hate this place and I hate the fans and I hate the Packers, you can force your way out. But it's such, at such great cost that you know it just doesn't happen. And nor is the quarterback really willing to do that. Deshaun hasn't had to do that. He has the upper hand. He has the fans in his corner. That's how poorly the Texans have handled this. And it looks like he's going to be able to pull it off because he doesn't want to be there and he has a, you know, he'd like to try somewhere else. And obviously the grass is always greener. We get that. But the fact that the Texans have fouled this up so much that the quarterback doesn't have to poison the well and become toxic to get out of town tells you about the Texans. So, and I don't know that this new coach has done much to really convince Deshaun that it's all going to get better. So, I, I, you know, it feels like that Deshaun Watson is going to be able to do something that not many people have been able to do. And that's get out of town without everybody getting upset. <laughs> You've mentioned Kyler Murray a couple times already, and I would put him and maybe Lamar Jackson in the same category as term of these incredible athletes who like to run, and you were known as that yourself. How do you hone and mold those guys into being passers along with their incredible athletic ability? The key even if the, the game has changed, quarterback is wide open. There are too many first downs. There's too many touchdowns available to the quarterbacks who can run. It used to be the opposite, and now the prototype into the future is going to be, in fact, you have to. The idea that you're going to draft a Tom Brady or Peyton Manning and that you're going to have them stand in one place, a Ben Roethlisberger, and play. And when I say stand in one place, the guys are very not mobile, you're going to play in the 2020s with, with a quarterback that can't move into the future. Young quarterback's not going to happen. So the fact is, is that everybody's looking for a quarterback that can still throw you. That's still the game. you got to be able to throw a sophisticated passing game at, at, the, at the NFL defenses, which is the problem with the Ravens. The Ravens, in my mind, are damning uh, Lamar Jackson from his development because they're so all-in with Lamar Jackson as a college player in a sophisticated running game. That yes, they can go and, and beat the rank and file in the NFL, but when they get against the best, you know, sophisticated running games are able to, you know, be taken down, where sophisticated passing games cannot, or at least it's much more difficult. And so Lamar, to me, that they have to change things in Baltimore to make a more sophisticated passing game and let Lamar grow into it. I just don't feel like they're, the, the opportunities there. People say, well, Lamar Jackson's not a sophisticated passer. Well. What's the chicken or the egg? I mean, you gotta, you got to be a sophisticated passing game to find out if you're a sophisticated passer. And uh, I appreciate what the Ravens have done in going all in with the college form of Lamar Jackson, but they've got to they've – you can see it. I mean, I've been saying it for a couple of years, and I, I think I've been proven right, not that I know it any more than anybody else, but you've got to – they've got to change, and they've got to they've – and give Lamar a chance to grow into that. Uh, as far as Kyler Murray – that offense is perfect for the 2020s. And Kyler Murray, you know, there's no question that the size, he's proven that that doesn't matter and that he can, you know, continue to develop as a passer. That's the key for him. He's shown the ability to be more of a sophisticated passer, and that just needs to keep growing. And as long as he doesn't stall out, uh, Kyler could be a really great player as well.
Steve Young, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve, we know you got to go here at the bottom of the hour, so we don't want to hold you too long. You have the open invitation anytime you want to come back. You know how to get a hold of us. Uh, if you have a minute to discuss BYU scheduling on the way out the door, feel free, or we can save it for the next visit. No, we do it. It's BYU. I, I just got to get in. on saying I got to take kids to school, so we'll just have a little transition to the car. But um, uh, BYU scheduling, I just, BYU did a phenomenal thing. I mean, every, it was a phenomenal year for BYU. Um, because of COVID, it was just so strange and difficult. But because of COVID, we were we were the focus of the country for a little while. And because of Zach, in many ways, and his um, prolific play, it, it really reestablished for people's minds, the fans, the media, who BYU is, was, and who they're going to be. And so, in that way, the expectations grew. That's not you know sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but. It's always good because as an independent, that's how you, that's a lifeblood. And, you know, ESPN always was a friend. And I know these guys and they talk about, you know, I talk to them about BYU all the time. BYU's a friend. They like them. They're friendly. You know, it's a good, good relationship. But in the end, it's, it's programming. It has to be exciting. It has to be something that the people are asking for. And this season was really important for developing that, that, you know, kind of, uh, demand for BYU football. I mean, the demand wasn't there for a while. I think the demand is back. Now, can we answer the bell? Can we get another quarterback to do you know great things? Can we continue to recruit even though we've struggled there? Um, can we, you know, because we're scheduling is not, I mean, scheduling COVID was a problem, but scheduling is not our problem. We're going to be great play, great teams. It's going to be a really difficult schedule no matter what. Can we stand in now with the expectations that we built this year? And, um, uh, I mean, COVID was crazy. Um, I give Tom a lot of credit. I mean, tons of credit for putting a, a schedule together and having some success. And I just don't, I think that scheduling for my, if you're asking me scheduling, I don't think that's the problem. Scheduling, they're going to, as long as COVID doesn't keep around, stay around, we're going to, we're going to play the best of the best. And we're going to have a schedule that if we, if we have a great quarterback and a, and a great team, we're going to be in the mix for, for everything every year. If we can, beat our schedule. Our schedule is going to be tough. Well, we're going to let you go, Steve. We appreciate a few minutes and look forward to talking to you again whenever uh, whenever you want to give us a ring. Yeah, Feel you free. guys are tough, man. I mean, they just like knock them down. I got to... <laughs> you guys are going to tell me I got to stretch out before I get on the phone. <laughs> nice. Get some flexibility. <laughs> and I got to shout out to my boy Ryan, uh, Ryan Smith and the Jazz. Let's go. It's nice, good stuff. Excellent. Hey, are, are you going right. to be? Are you going to be at a golf tournament up here again next summer? I know golf tournaments took a hit this past year, but I remember uh, sitting down with you. We're going to try. We actually we had a social distance uh, little tournament um, uh, uh, this last. We did it in June. It was very small and, and difficult, but we did it up at Promontory, and it worked out just fine. And we'll, I'm sure we'll try to do it again with the proper protocols and so forth. But. Uh, we appreciate any support we get because that's, that's our lifeblood, obviously, of, of our foundation. So we'll be there, I'm sure. All right. Well, uh, call the station and get us up there. That's what we do yeah, in the summer is broadcast fair. live from golf tournaments. So. Oh, look at you. That's All right. Our, that's our yeah, deal. I, I, 
I didn't know we were big enough, so now we know. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> oh, come good. On. That's good. <laughs> if you look, if you look at my Twitter, uh, the the uh, the GIF I put up to promote your appearance here this morning is uh, Plumber taking the monkey off your back. So yeah, I, I think you're big enough. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Do you really? <laughs> Why do you hate that? Oh, well, because it didn't reflect how I felt. And this is, I'm sorry to hold you out, but let me just let me just explain it. I, I felt that monkey in, uh, you know, that weight, the deadly weight. It felt like it was oppressive in 91. That's one of the year kind of I took over, and I was dying. It was a brutal year, and I, I did not handle it well. And it was, and, but I had an experience, and I, I, I chronicled it in my little book that I wrote, but uh, with Steve Covey on a, on a plane that changed my life as far as that perspective. And it changed it, literally. And so 92 was a, just a different person. And I felt I was free of that weight uh, more so than I'd ever been. And so by 94, it just wasn't, you know, I, I almost, I just, I don't know why I said it. I don't, it wasn't in my mind. It wasn't a thing. I guess I was so elated and excited that we'd won the Super Bowl. I, I did it. And, and, and Gary, I don't know. I just, it did it. It's fine. It probably was perceptionally the right thing to do for everyone who followed. But for me personally, I just like, ah, I don't, I don't feel that anymore. So anyway, keep it up. It's fine. Put it the gift, put the gift on there. It's good. I'll find another one. What's your favorite yeah, gift? I like it. I like, you know, it's, it's true. Look, whether I thought there was or not, there was certainly a perception that there was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I if think... I would have lost that Super Bowl, I, I, I think it would have been, Hey Steve, you know, good luck. You know, how, how does, how does, uh, Vallejo, Sacramento, Auburn, <laughs> Reno, Elko, you know, on your way, on your way, big boy. We'll see you later. Winnemucca, hello. Oh, you didn't, Winnemucca. and the fans loved it. <laughs> yeah, so it was great. So, anyway, you have a little more personal insight to my insanity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, All right. I'll get you. I'll, I'll put one out here for you. Here's you throwing a touchdown pass against the Cowboys. You'll like that one better. That's better. Oh yeah, right before the half, grab that one. That was that was the Tom Brady <laughs> special from last week in the a couple weeks in the Packer game. Right before half, did you? That was the killer. Did you that laugh when Brady said he was going to play past 45, or do you think he's going to do it? You're big on the NFL's a different league now. No, he can do it. The league is that's the league. I mean, Tom said it to me, right? Like, you can't patrol the middle of the field anymore. No one can, the safeties can't launch. There's no, the middle of the field in the NFL in the old days, you, you just, you didn't, you, unless you really knew what you were doing and you had somebody that knew what they were doing, you didn't mess around in there. Now it's just wide open. Is it the flat? I could throw the flat. I could go 25 for 25 in the flat. You know? I mean, and, and again, no one can hit me. You know, I mean, anytime that somebody hits me, they don't know how to, I can see the light defense line trying to figure out how to hit me. It's fair and not going to get flagged. So there's, it's just, there's no reason unless your arm quits that you would, that you would stop playing. And by the way, not that it, like at this point matters, but you're making forty million dollars a year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. I mean, what's better than that? Working with, uh, working with investment bankers and that kind of stuff. Maybe that's better. You know, obviously we've we've. We started to rot here. We need to move on. <laughs> I got I to get off this show because I can see that the questions at the bottom of your list are the ones that I need to get out of. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll let you go, Steve. We appreciate it. Anytime, give us a shout. And, you know, if you're craving a weekly appearance in Salt Lake to talk BYU football, we are your guys. 
Uh, we got to thank the great Jim Herman for putting me and getting us together, right? So okay. Gotta... <laughs> Jim. Uh, Jim's hilarious. Uh, I had a great story for a meeting about Jim. <laughs> the mayor of Salt Lake, let's be honest. There it is. All right. Thanks, Steve. We appreciate it. Boys. There is Steve Young. Thanks to him for joining us on Friday. That was great to have him on. When we come back, what is trending is coming up after the Jazz Post game show. we got Jazz Post for you next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, the Utah Jazz, pick up another win. They beat the Pacers 103-95. Didn't shoot the three well. Looked fatigued and tired at times, but defended. Defended well enough. Held them under 100 points. Got to the rim themselves and found a way to win. Hit just enough threes to get it done. Got to the rim. Got some layups and dunks. Rudy had a double-double, 16-16. and We'll let Jake run down the rest of it for you right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. Wasn't the prettiest of games, but the Jazz pulled out a victory over the Pacers. 103-95 to found a way to grind it out with no Mike Conley uh, on the last game of a road trip before returning home. Playing early on a Super Bowl Sunday, but found a way to win. Again, 103-95. to Donovan Mitchell just one rebound away from a triple-double. He had 27 points, 11 assists, 9 boards. Uh, Rudy Gobert was had a monster game on both sides of the ball, 16 points, 16 rebounds. He also had three block shots. Uh, Boyan had a nice second half, had 18 points for the game. Jordan Clarkson, uh, electric as usual, he had 17. As the Jazz didn't shoot the ball real well, but played a lot of D and came out with uh, a big-time win. Let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Uh, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Q. So obviously you guys had, you know, quite a few things kind of working against you today, just between three games and four nights, early start, Mike being out. Um, what can you say just about kind of the resilience that it took to kind of slog through a game like this and, and do the little things necessary to pull out another win? Well, the, you know, these are the types of games that you talk about as far as you don't have your best shooting night. Uh, you mentioned, you know, some of the other things that, you know, the, the, the road provides, whether it be, you know, off a of back-to-back and early start, you know, all those types of things. And um, that's when your defense has to carry it. And I thought we had some, you know, excellent individual performances, you know, Royce on Brogdon and, you know, Rudy on Sabonis, Fabe as well. But those, you know, I, I thought we did a good job in those matchup situations. And then, you know, the glass was big for us. Um, you know, when you're dragging a little bit, it becomes, those are the times it becomes even more important, um, you know, to try to generate some easy stuff. And, you know, the offensive boards were big for us tonight. I was kidding. Joe Ingles, even he got one. So um, those extra possessions really help in situations like this. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Coach, this seemed like a night that, you know, you really needed your two best players to affect the game um, on every possession. And, you know, not only did they do it uh, in in different ways, but it kind of can 
it was kind of in conjunction to what you guys were trying to do overall as a team. What do you, what did you think of Donovan and Rudy's uh, performance, you know, as individuals and as a tandem? Well, you know, I mentioned Rudy's defensive effort on Sabonis. I, I thought, you know, particularly in the second half, um, our ability to find Rudy on penetration and Donovan was, you know, Donovan found him a couple times, um, you know, Donovan distributing the ball. I think he's a rebound short of the triple double. In um, in both instances, it, you know, they had to fight through some stuff. There were some some plays that were tough. Or there's always going to be some mistakes. You're always going to miss some shots. And the ability to just you know grind through that for both those guys, I thought, was what made the game unique. David James, KUTV. Hey, Quinn, did you talk to the guys at halftime about attacking the rim more? Because it seemed like some of those shots at the end of the first half were coming up short and it looked like an adjustment. I don't know if you suggested it, if they just did it. How did that work? Well, ironically, um, you know, we want to put teams in closeout situations. They were really running us off the line. As much as, you know, attacking the rim, I I think it was about what we did when we got in there. Um, You know, they have two rim protectors back there. So sometimes when you go in there, if you're not under control, um, it's harder. And those shots are more open when you attack the rim and you're under control and and you you kick it out. So I think us finding that balance is always always important. I I don't want to pass up threes. Um, Even if we are a little tired, I just want to keep shooting them. But as you said, you know, we love the rim. Um, so if you can get to the rim, even better. I, I thought we just were more efficient when we got in the paint in the second half. Last question, Ben Anderson, kslsports.com. Quinn, is there value in just learning how to win games differently? This is not what the rest of your games have looked like over the last, you know, month and a half and, and what this feels like for the rest of the year? I mean, absolutely. You know, I, I think when we say that, um, you know, we, we, the other night against Charlotte, against a team that played small and was aggressive and blitzed and switched um, a team tonight with Sabonis and Turner two, you know, two bigs and rim protection, um, you know, the other night in Atlanta when, when they really tried to take away the three from us. So being able to adjust to every game and figure out how you, you win. As I said, I thought tonight the offensive glass played a big part in it. Um, and we hit some timely, timely threes. But the one thing that's consistent through all that um, is the ability to defend. And I think our guys are doing a really good job of executing in a game plan. And they're also connected enough that they're making you know, adjustments on their own in, in specific situations. I thought Royce and, and Rudy in particular did an excellent job of that tonight. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder talking about the offensive rebounding there. Jazz had 17 offensive boards. Donovan Mitchell had five uh, on his own. And uh, Coach Snyder talking about uh, the defense being a key factor in pulling out this one. Let's hear from some players. Let's start off with Donovan Mitchell. Tony, go ahead. Um, you know, going beyond the stat line, um, you know, how were you able to, to just kind of make your presence felt? on on each on each possession i think the biggest thing you know coming to the game you know i knew they were going to be physical you know i think we all knew that and i think for me just trying to establish from the beginning that you know just the mentality of pushing through you know when you play three games and less than 72 hours i think that that last game you know is definitely going to be a tough one um on the body you know so if you kind of just go out there and just find ways to make your presence felt whether it's driving penetrating setting up 
plays the right way, whatever, getting guys locked in, and then everybody, you know, follow suit. You know, and I think we did a good job of just continuing to 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 push through certain things. And, you know, for me, just trying to whether it's rebounding, you know, with Mike out, you know, there's a lot more responsibility to myself and Joe to kind of initiate the offense and kind of feel the game. Uh, so he's got to lock in more and, and find ways to to impact the game in every play. And that's what that's what I tried to do. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Don, the Pacers aren't known as a as a prolific three point shooting team, but they start the game off hitting hitting four in a row, um, and then after that, you guys pretty much locked them down. They were six for fifteen at halftime. They hit only two total in the second half. What was kind of the the key to getting your guys's defense kind of a little better situated to executing what you wanted it? Um, I think it's, it's back to what I said. I think you know for us it was you know came out a little, little flat, you know, not contesting shots in, a cer- in certain ways, not getting locked in the pick and roll, but fighting through that. You know, last year we had the same game, same type of road trip, and we lost by like 25. You know, they were able to do whatever whatever they wanted, and we kind of got out to that start. They got out to that start, I should say, and then we locked in. You know, and I think that's what's different about this team this year, and I think this is one of the things that shouldn't go unnoticed, and it's, it's very impressive what we did, being able to, to do – to do the little things, to turn up our energy, you know, kind of getting hit in the mouth and like, all right, bet, like this is, this is how we're going to have to play the rest of the game. We're going to have to pick up our intensity and we did that. You know, there were times we were tired, there were times we had to dig deep and we did it collectively. And I think that's the biggest thing. David James, KUTV. How much did you and uh, Jordan and Joe make a conscious decision to go at the rim? And, and how much did that just kind of evolve over the course of the game? Because you guys got a lot of, a lot of shots in close in the third quarter. I think just being aggressive, you know, trying to find ways to just penetrate and attack. You know, I, I think with them having two bigs out there, just trying to find ways to make those two bigs run. Uh, and Miles and Sabonis, you know, they're in half court, Miles is, you know, you know, a great shot blocker. So we got to get find ways to, you know, push it when he's not there. You know, now that we have him spaced out when he's guarding Royce or whatever, he's in trailing the play. So now you attack the rim, Sabonis contest. Rudy's there for the finish, or if they all draw in, we find the guys on the three-point line. And that was pretty much the mentality from the jump, but especially in the third, you know, tie game coming in the third, just trying to find ways to up our level a little bit, and I think we did that. And Anderson, KSLSports.com. Donovan, at what point did you realize you were so close to the triple-double and, and kind of and not hunting it, you didn't hunt it, but, you know, did it come on your radar? I'm not, a, uh, I'm, I'm not the type of person to just go and chase it. I believe, you know, if, if God wanted it to happen, it would happen. You know, at the end of the day, when I realized it, it was a seven-point game um, or six-point game. Um, and everybody in the timeout let me know. But I was just like, look, like, we can't lose this. You know, they have guys who can hit shots, tough shots. So that was really where my head was at. Um, I told Brogdon to shoot it at the end. And that was probably the only time I probably chased it when the, the last session of the game. But um, – that was that was it. You know, my mind wasn't really on that. You know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> I'm just trying to go out there and find ways to impact the game. If it happens, it happens. It's not something where I'm like, you know, I need this or I need that. You know, at the end of the day, we we got stops. We made our free throws at the end. We executed down the stretch, which was huge. Joe got an offensive rebound on a free throw. Never seen that before. So I think that's really where my head was at, just doing the little things. And if it happens, it happens. It doesn't. I'm not really impressed. Mayo Campbell, UtahJazz.com. Hey, Donovan, what do you think um, – do you think having the early and long extensive road trip at the beginning of the season prepared you for the shorter road trip, especially considering the COVID protocols and limited practices and all that? Uh, I think so. I think, you know, you kind of get the the travel stay in. And for me, it's play Xbox. But like that, that you kind of get that 
Um, your mom texted you. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. His mom said, she said, love you. So it was good. Uh, um, but no, I think it just prepared you just for, you know, to understand the routine, the habits, you know, and understanding what we do. You know, it's going to be a lot of mental work on, the, on these road trips. There's a lot of mental things that go into it. Um, the film, the understanding of how we have to play, you know, and as opposed to, you know, you don't really, like you said, you don't get much practice time, but understanding what we have to do and how we have to do it in order to succeed. And, you know, this road trip, I wouldn't say felt easier because it was, so, it was short, but it was definitely easier than those longer road trips because, like you said, we've, we've had time to prepare and understand what it's like on the road. Last question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan, with your your passing, it seems like you're getting better and better at kind of using your eyes or using pump fakes to guys get guys open. Tell me how that part of your game has developed and how you're learning how you learn that skill. Um, like, I, like I said, I think it's a lot of it for me. It's just the mental reads, um, the the film, understanding how I'm being guarded. You know, they blitz me with miles, but they don't blitz me with Sabonis. Um, or sorry, they started at the end, but like defining, understanding, right? This is how you have to get the look. You know, the look is there, but how am I making the pass? How am I setting up the pass? Because the passes, the the passes. You know, there are times where I get sporadic and trying to make certain plays that aren't really there but the passes and the reads I see them but since I'm you know small you know and guys they typically put guys who are kind of taller and longer on me um I got to be able to set it up to get to the open guy so you know the pass to Derek you know for instance I'll take you into like between the legs to get myself to my right hand to throw it when it's Royce you know understanding he's popping so being able to bump back and throw it over the top or if it's a behind-the-back pass. You know, it seems fancy, but those are the ones I have to make because of my size. But if you look at Joe, it's easier for Joe because he's he's six seven six eight, so he's up here. So my my setups really help me in my in my passing game, and I think that's what I've been focusing on, being able to set up my passes. Because the passes, once I get to the pass, I feel like I can make it, but i got to get there because of how guys, how they're playing me and also the fact that I'm 6'3". There's Donovan Mitchell, 27 points, 11 assists, 9 rebounds. You heard him say he wasn't out there hunting the triple-double. Maybe a little bit at the end when he talked Malcolm Brogdon into shooting, but uh, not in the cards. Uh, Did have a close to a triple-double, but not quite. All right, let's now hear from Rudy Gobert. We'll get started with Tony Jones, The Athletic. Rudy, what was your your approach going into um, tonight playing against you know, two very, very, very good bigs and, you know, and, and how were you able to to execute like you did defensively? So, first of all, I think uh, I knew that it was going to be a, it was an important game. At the same time, it's a third game in three and a half days. So, I knew that, uh, you know, I was going to have to have a great impact. And uh, and I talked to Donovan the same thing. We I knew that us two were going to have to set the tone and, uh, you know, so yeah, just uh, try to be focused and uh, make sure we we execute the game plan and we make sure we, we got some bonus and, uh, and, and these guys and protect the paint. And I think we, uh, we did a great job doing that. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy. So, uh, in talking to Quinn earlier, he mentioned all the offensive rebounds you guys had and how critical they were and kind of generating extra possessions in a game that was as close as this. What made you guys so effective on the boards tonight? I think we got good shots, you know, and when you get good shots and you attack the rim and, you know, when all, guy, when, uh, all guys are able to get an advantage and get to the rim and make make whoever's guarding us the bigs help, 
he puts us in a position where we can rebound. And, uh, you know, we got many of these tonight. And it's because I think we played, uh, we did a great job moving the ball and finding the open shots. And definitely we get better offensive rebounds when we get good shots. Maxime Lagorgias, the free agent out of France. Hi, Rudy. <laughs> do, do you hear me? Yes. Uh, so, um, what do you feel when the Sabonis always looking for the matchup with you? N not only he's attacking me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just like anybody else, uh, when guys try to attack me, uh, my goal is to make sure that they don't score. You know, they might score once once in a while, but. Uh, It's on me to, you know, make sure they, they take the toughest shot possible and, you know, and uh, and if they make it, they make it. But yeah, uh, you know, whoever try, tries to attack me, I'm going to make sure I, I do my best to, to stop them. Last question now, CampbellUtahJazz.com. Hey, Rudy, do you think having that long, extensive road trip at the beginning of the season uh, prepared you for the shorter road trip, especially considering the COVID protocols, lack of practice and all that? When I, when I think about it, I'm so glad that we got this long one out of the way. Uh, you know, that was, uh, I think during the road trip, something happened with, uh, within our team. You know, after the two New York losses, uh, we really came together as a team and found our, found our identity. And, uh, you know, definitely happy that, you know, we, we won't have any more of these long road trips the whole year. And, you know, now it's just on us to, You know, keep keep getting better, uh, keep taking it one game at a time, and, uh, you know, whether it's on the road or at home. That was Rudy Gobert, 16 points, 16 rebounds, three block shots, the 39th time in his career. He's gone for 15, 15, and three. Uh, absolutely amazing. Let's uh, wrap things up with the player sound from uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. We will go ahead and get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Boyan. So, um, Quinn was mentioning that, you know, in, in games like this where the shots aren't falling like they normally would for you guys, um, doing those little things like grabbing those offensive rebounds and, and continuing to play defense at a high level are what ultimately made the difference. What was kind of, I don't know, what, what helped you guys kind of find the energy to do all those little things, especially at the end when the game is close? I mean, we started the game slow, like like the last one against against Charlotte. So our second unit is, is doing great job to putting us in a game last last couple of games. But like you mentioned, we had a more than 15 offensive boards. So even if we are not shooting well, there's another another ways to, to win the games and, and we are showing that game after after game we are finding finding different ways to, to win the game actually. David James, KUTV. Well, yeah, obviously a lot of shots were short, not just you, but for the for the whole team. And it looked like you guys were tired. Did you feel as tired as it looked on TV? I mean, you can you can say that, but also game was game was early, so we are not used to play play this early. It's 11, 11 a.m. In, in Salt Lake, so that might be the that might be the reason the reason as well. But at the end of the day great defense from from our side 
kept the, them less than than 100 points. So, so great, great road trip overall. Three and all. Getting, getting back home, we got a couple games in, in Salt Lake right now. There's Boyan Bogdanovich, 18 points on 5-14 shooting. He was 3 of 8 from 3. He did grab 5 rebounds and dish out a couple of assists as well. But the Jazz uh, have a, 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 a struggle a little bit shooting the basketball, but still come out with a win, 103-95 to over the Indiana Pacers. The Jazz now return home. They've got a national TV game coming up tomorrow night. The Boston Celtics are in town. That game will tip off at 8 o'clock. There is the best of the Jazz postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, the Super Bowl, the Jazz, the Clippers. Clippers going down to defeat. Stay with us. This is 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag NFL the line of scrimmage is the 17-yard line of Kansas City. Here's the snap. Play action fake. Brady looking, Brady looking, looking, looking. Throws toward the end zone. Caught ball. Touchdown Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Rob Gronkowski's got two today. Boy, how about that? Take points off the board and throw to number 87. Here's the snap. Run the ball to the right. Got a blonde boy to the 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown Tampa Bay. Leonard Fournette takes it to the house. And the Bucs lead 20 7-9. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the Super Bowl champs. They blow out the Chiefs 31-9. Don't even let them score a touchdown. Tampa Bay defense, dominant, taking down Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes in three straight playoff games. Bucks finished the year on an eight-game win streak. And PK, they looked awesome. I can't argue with that, absolutely. You know, you listen to what the guys were talking about how this was a new team put together and you know, didn't have the preseason didn't have offseason all this stuff and it took some time and they got it going and as you say finished with eight game winning streak an eight game winning streak and just looked really really awesome and to me the defense is the story and they got a lot of offensive weapons but to hold Kansas City without a touchdown it's not anything that I would have thought would have happened for sure and obviously it did so you have to credit them big time I thought the Bucks had a path to victory with that uh, front four going against Kansas City's offensive line I guess and, and we don't know enough about the depth on KC's O-line and but to move three guys because you have one injury seems to create a lot of weakness. Now, maybe given who, what the alternative was and who the backup was, and I'm not in a position to judge that. I doubt you are either. Maybe that was the right thing. But, man, when you hear him talk about that, it does raise an eyebrow. It's like that wasn't just one thing. That, that's three of your five guys. You, you're basically making a whole new O-line at that point. Uh, sure, but no one's going to remember that. Sucks nope. for them. But... <laughs> it sucks for them, but Brady's got seven. Yeah. Got multiple questions up on our uh, Facebook page, and one of them, how can anyone doubt that Tom Brady has had the best career in the history of team sports? Well, you could be be friends with Bill Russell. That's how you could do it. No. 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 That's, That's ignorant. Sorry, my friend. And I call you my friend because you are my friend. If you had the best team in the NBA in 1962, there's a very good chance you had the best team in the NBA 1963, 1964, 1965, because nobody could move. You were locked in. You had to play with that team unless you didn't want to play. 
So people were locked in in baseball and football in the same era. There was no free agency. And it's all the right. way from 50, but and, 57 to 69. I mean, guys and get in older football and, and basketball, I mean, bas- football and baseball, you need a roster, not one or two guys. In basketball, you need one or two guys, and you are good to go. It doesn't matter if it's 2021, 2020, Los Angeles Lakers, or whomever it might be. Hell, people think that Jordan won all those games by himself or titles by himself. So maybe you don't even need one guy, two guys. You just need one. Come on, man. You all are better than that. Kansas City head coach Andy Reid addressed the car accident that his son, Chiefs outside linebacker coach Britt Reid, was involved in last week. He sent a five-year-old child to the hospital in critical condition. He told reporters, quote, My heart goes out. All of those who were involved in the accident, in particular the family with the little girl who's fighting for her life. Just from a human standpoint, my heart bleeds for everyone involved in that. Close quote. Britt Reid did not coach in yesterday's game. I did see a list on Twitter yesterday of four famous... Uh, Headlines, storylines leading up to games that all involve team personnel that were all really negative. Uh, you know, obviously this car wreck here, and then another player's drug overdose, and another player being arrested, um, charged with prostitution. All the teams that had the major negative distraction lost. Don't know that you can put it on that, but at the same time, there's a trend building. Obviously, there's, you know, 22 people playing and 44 because you're platooning. There's a lot of stuff going on, but. The team with the distraction, uh, 0-4 now, according to this list. Oh, that's why I don't want to hear uh, the parents of fill-in-the-blank must have done a, a great job raising them. Because then you got to say Andy Reid did a lousy job raising them. Who's going to say that? Who has any idea? So that's why I always get bent every time I hear, oh, so-and-so's parents must have done a tremendous job raising them. What about this one here? You can't have one without the other. Yin and Yang, balance in the universe. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. BYU announces the hire of 33-year veteran Daryl Funk as their new offensive line coach. He worked most recently at UTSA, worked with Brady Hoke at three different stops when Hoke went from Ball State to San Diego State. To the University of Michigan. The Cougar offensive line was a real strength this past season, PK. So change coaches, but you got to keep that rolling. Yeah, he worked with Sonny Lubick way back when, and Sonny Lubick was just a great, great coach. Did great work over in Fort Collins, and so I think that's where he's from and played and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's a lot of experience. You cannot deny that. Alabama expected to lose a fifth assistant coach as defensive backs coach Carl Scott expected to join the Minnesota Vikings in the same role after spending three years working for Nick Saban. Overall, Alabama has lost 15 staff members this offseason, five on-field coaches, seven analysts, three others. Everybody wants the Saban magic. You want to get a job, get to Alabama. And the cool thing is Saban turns over the assistants and he just he hires good people and he's got already got good players and it's different recruiters but everybody seems to recruit for him he's got the machine up and running he doesn't let anything slip so 15 staffers in the offseason he shrugs reloads and plans to go win again yeah as far as a defensive back coach i heard the leaders right now are either tony junji or herman edwards <laughs> funny man Everybody wants in. There'll be a long list of people applying. They know that their uh, career can skyrocket if they go work for Nick. DJ and PK.
Hashtag Utah Jazz. Back up top to Donovan. Brogdon, one of the better pick-and-roll defenders. Driving as Donovan gives to Rudy, and he hammers. Flares it to Bogey. Feet set. Ball wet. Splash! Tenth assist of the night for Donovan Mitchell. Boyan Bogdanovich gives the Jazz a six-point lead with 4.08 to play. Donovan trying to get free from Brogdon. Drives. A lot of contact off the window and in. Donovan Mitchell, 98-91, two to play. Utah Jazz sweep the road trip. Perfect 3-0. They beat the Pacers 103-95. PK, this game didn't look like the other games. There was no 20-point lead. There was no flurry of three-pointers. They shot 31% from three. They they had some open threes, and shots came up short. And I mean, it's easy to blame that on the, on the fatigue or whatever. But, hey, they adjusted. It was like PK was in the huddle. Guys, you got to go to the rack. And in the third quarter especially, throughout the game they did, but I thought it was especially noticeable in the third quarter. Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, uh, William Bogdanovich, they all, oh, Clarkson too, they all drove, got into the paint. Uh, Most of the guys got layups or fed Rudy. Clarkson would shoot his turnaround fadeaway seven-footer. Uh, but same deal, getting close, and, and the legs don't matter so much. That was that was impressive. They, they couldn't blow him off the floor like they've been doing, but they got the win. That's all that matters. I don't want to hear that they're fatigued or tired. How do we know that the uh, Pacers were at 100% in their health and blah, 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 blah? If you're too tired to make threes, then don't take them. I mean, it's as simple as that. Go ahead and find ways to win. That was what was impressive. They found a way to win, and that's all that matters. And they did it without Conley. I mean, you can list the reasons of why you're supposed to lose. And once you start listing the reasons of why you're supposed to lose, you're going to lose. And they wouldn't have any of it. And that was what was fun about it, watching that game, to see the determination and finding ways. Because you're not going to have... 16 times in the playoffs if you want to win a title where all 16 you're just going to be draining threes because obviously when they shoot like they're capable they are virtually unbeatable even against the Lakers I believe I don't know how many times they can do that so you're going to have to find other ways to win and this is a good opportunity now the Pacers aren't going to be the Lakers in the postseason we understand that but still this is a good opportunity to find other ways to win and they did it. I mean, the rebounding was just sensational. They had like 60-some rebounds. I mean, that was 61, I think it was, and uh, 24 points off offensive boards. Yep. That was just incredible. 17. Are, yeah, 17 oh, offensive yeah. rebounds is a huge yeah. number. That's about yeah. double what teams normally get. Right. And, and the Pacers had eight. That 8 to 10 range is kind of a normal number. Yeah. And there were more shots to be had or rebounds to be had because – the three-pointers lead themselves to not the conventional rebound that falls off right below to the defender who's boxing out. I understand all that. Uh, It was just great to see them be that ferocious on the offensive glass to get that, to get those opportunities, because that's playoff basketball. And that's what I took from that, knowing that the Pacers, they're probably never going to play the Pacers in the playoffs. But still, I like the grit and determination and the rebounding. Those are some things that add up and can help you win, and that's exactly what happened. Seven different players had offensive rebounds to get to that uh, to get to that 17. Mitchell had five of them. Missed his uh, triple-double by one rebound, 27 points, 11 assists, nine rebounds. But they get the victory. That is four in a row. That is 15 out of 16, and they are back home to face the Boston Celtics. Tomorrow night, Vivint Arena. Late game, Yach. Another one of these 8 o'clock specials. It's a TNT game. Ooh, that makes it way late back in Boston. But TNT. So, 
and give Shaq a chance to talk about Donovan almost getting a triple-double in his all-around games. Someone's bound to throw that at him. All right, that'll be tomorrow night. Jazz and Celtics, DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Totter. And bam to the rim with a two-hand jam as he got in behind Julius Randle, Miami, right now on an 18-5 run. Booker up out of the backcourt on the drive. Stops, pops, three-pointer. Shazam! D. Booker for the 3-0. Eight-tenths of a second remaining in the half. De'Aaron Fox takes the dribble left, gets to the left edge of the paint, steps back, circles, drives right, scoops with the left hand. Magical play by De'Aaron Fox, who now has 34 points. And the Kings take the lead at 105-103. De'Aaron Fox finishes with 36 points, and the Sacramento Kings beat the L.A. Clippers 113-110. Combined with the Jazz win, Jazz are a game up on the Lakers and now two and a half games up on the Clippers. Three in front of them in the loss column. And the Clippers have a, uh, the Clippers get the loss. The Kings have a nice little stretch here going, PK. I don't, I don't want to get oversold on the Kings and Luke Walton, but that win didn't exactly come out in the middle of nowhere. They'd beaten the Celtics. They'd beaten the Nuggets. They got four straight wins now. Yeah, and the Celtics are without Jalen Brown and the Clippers are without uh, Paul George right now. Suns beat the Celtics 100-91. Devin Booker, 18 points, 11 assists. Suns pick up the victory. There's a, uh, they're in the middle of a big group of teams uh, in the West battling for uh, fourth and fifth. The Suns currently have that fourth spot by a half a game over the Spurs and a game over the Nuggets and Blazers. Also, there's a highlight in there. The Heat beat the Knicks. Bam out of bio with a nice game, 24 points and 11 rebounds. Detroit Pistons trading Derrick Rose to the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau wants him back, apparently. Those two have worked together before, and they will uh, team up there in New York. Detroit gets Dennis Smith Jr. in a 2021 second-round draft pick in exchange for the former MVP. And Larry Nance Jr., Cavs forward out four to six weeks, fractured finger, left hand, going to need surgery. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. They've done it before. Can they do it again? BYU has shocked Gonzaga before, beat him when Gonzaga looked like they were the much better team. But now Gonzaga is number one, 18-0 overall, 9-0 in conference. And not just that, but just, just the eye test, PK. The eye test screens. Man, Gonzaga's been good before, and now they're even better than that. Well, I think that is it. 18 and 0 and 9 and 0. That is the eye test. ESPN tonight, 9 o'clock at the Marriott Center. BYU coming in 15 and 4 overall, and they are 6 and 2 in conference. I hope they let in some fans. If they don't, I don't really understand why not. Have you heard anything? You got anything to let in a thousand or two thousand or something? No, I haven't heard a thing. Set. Oh, good. Friday, I was told they are not going to allow fans. And I think that's stupid. Weber State vaults into a tie atop the Big Sky. They beat Montana State. There's a bunch of teams now stacked up there with two losses. SUU, Montana State, they're all tied up there. Dixie yeah, that State. Was a great win yeah. for Weber there. Uh, but they swept that series. They did. And this is it's indicative of Randy Ray. If he has a little bit of a down season, he usually comes back strong. And it sets up for a crazy tournament where there could be three or four teams that could easily, you could picture any of them winning the tournament. But uh, 
you know, you're going to have to play, uh, you know, obviously get into these tournaments. you got to play three games in three days and all that stuff. So your ability to at least win two big games in three days ought to give you a little bit of confidence going into that situation. Matchups will be different and all that sort of stuff. But at least you've gone through a tough week and, uh, and done well. And Utah State didn't play, but there were some losses. Boise State lost. The Aggies are now on top in the Mountain West Conference. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Veteran ESPN Major League Baseball reporter Pedro Gomez passed away unexpectedly at home at the age of 58. A lot of you have seen him on ESPN for almost 20 years. They hired him in 2003. He'd been a beat writer in San Diego and Arizona. Before that, he worked at a number of newspapers. He's really popular in the media business, known as a good guy, certainly a familiar face, and uh, 58 is really young, PK. For sure, yeah. Dodgers signed pitcher Trevor Bauer on a three-year, $102 million deal that will pay him $40 million this year. Bauer's going to have opt-outs after the first and second years of the deal. $40 million? Dodgers. Spare well, no expense. It. They got the money. Let's go back to back. Well, didn't they say the Pirates' entire payroll is like $30 million this year? Braves re-up veteran slugger Marcel Ozuna, four years, $64 million. What is trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 Network analyst, joins us next to talk Super Bowl and NFL. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insiders, coming up at 9.05. Lincoln Kennedy, next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Fuller is such a classic rock guy. Been to a Doobie Brothers concert with Fuller. And you, for that matter. And PK. And afterward, this woman comes running over to get PK's autograph. And Bowler and I are standing there looking at each other like and PK is just beaming. Basically, your point of this story was how could somebody possibly recognize PK oh, that's and not, not recognize you and Bowler? Oh, that's not true, that's, man. Bowler and I are standing right there in shock. I said we were looking at each other. And thinking... PK's a star. Uh, it's not. <laughs> why wouldn't I It's think why that? are you talking to this guy when the great Gordon Monson is standing right here? I'm Gordon Monson. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Right now, you can get up to $6,000 in purchase allowance on the XT lineup. Experience the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 Network analyst, going to join us here momentarily. To wrap up the football season, it's all over, and Tom Brady is the champion again, PK. He leaves New England, he rolls down to Tampa Bay, and picks up another ring. It's nonstop with this guy. Is it ever going to end? Steve Young was just on with us saying, oh, yeah, he, he can play past 45. The rules have changed and totally doable. Steve didn't seem to have any doubt. I don't think it has much to do with the rules. I think it's Tom Brady's commitment. This is something he envisioned for himself when he was probably 30 years of age, and he's taken what he's needed to do to get there. I think it's on him 
He's been fortunate enough with the no injuries for sure. He's had the one major, but that seems so long ago. I can't even remember when it was. And I think the all-out commitment of the intensity that he has with his life as far as maintaining his physical conditioning. And to think that he's won two Super Bowls now, if I'm correct, past post-40, is really just absolutely amazing. And you have to just give it to him big time. This is a, this is accomplishment that an accomplishment that I don't think that we'll ever see again. Now I say that knowing that you should never say that. But nevertheless, it's nothing that we saw before. And going forward, it's just absolutely incredibly amazing. And, you know, the, the Sean McVay's of the world, they were the young, upcoming, and consistent coaches. It seemed like people went towards that. And you had two, co- two Super Bowl coaches in their 60s. And Arian's a first-time winner. I think they said he's, what, 68 years of age. And he's talking about no way he's going to retire. And obviously Brady's coming back. Man, if they can do it again, it would just be absolutely incredible. And they just they've had a, just an what a phenomenal career Tom Brady is. It's the All-American career for sure. Got a list here. Uh, you got a question up, and people are listing. Uh, how can anyone doubt Tom Brady has had the best career in the history of team sports? People listing their favorites, the competitors. Some just throwing the towel. Hector Perez, he's the GOAT in any sport, in any year. This is it. Doing it in his 40s. Yeah. Give me the names. I feel like Rudy Gobert at the rim. I'm just going to swat him away. <laughs> Man, the first one. I hate the first one. Can I swat the first one? Or you're Gobert. You're going to swat no, them you all. You can do it. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll be Donovan Mitchell. I'll come in and block the shot from behind. Because he's going around Gobert. Brian, he's had one of the best careers for sure. But maybe you could say that for football, Bradshaw and Montana were both 4-0 in Super Bowls. So they're close. No! Getting to the Super Bowl and losing is still an accomplishment. I'm not, I'm not downgrading him because he lost three Super Bowls. Getting there is still an accomplishment. It's hard to do. You don't want to lose earlier in the playoffs. I'm not downgrading him for that. Terrible. No. He's 7-3 and three in Super Bowls, and that is awesome. To get to 10 Super Bowls, how many times doing this show have we said, if you get to, in a, into the NFL or the NBA, certainly the NFL, but even the NBA or Major League Baseball where there's less contact, if you last 10 years as a role guy, that's a phenomenal accomplishment. This yeah. dude's been to 10 Super Bowls. Other people, are 10-year careers are awesome. He's been to 10 Super Bowls. It's off the charts. It is. I agree. Jeff says, too much cheating for me. Ah. Uh, Spygate. They wouldn't have beaten the Rams. They wouldn't have gotten it rolling. It all would have been different. Yeah, that's sort of like the baseball thing with the steroids. How do I know the guy throwing to me wasn't on him? Who knows what? I mean, once you open up that and you get into some moral judgments and all that stuff, do you know what's other what the other guy's doing completely and totally? So... I don't know what they're doing. I think that stuff sort of cancels out, and I'm not sure how much effect that had on Brady, but, you know, he did have to sit out the games with the uh, the air and the football and all that stuff. But I think he's won so much that he's overcome that. DeGiro says, no doubt, another clinical performance. Just throwing those short screen passes and just carving up the Kansas City defense. Uh, to an extent, sure, yeah. Aaron lists a bunch of guys. Here you go. All right, go to the rim. Ready? Mm-hmm. Bill Russell. He says 10 rings. Bill Russell would tell him he I shorted him one 11. ring. Yeah. <laughs> it was 11 of 13, plus two NCAA titles and the Olympic gold. Bill Russell just kept winning. Bill Russell was in the ultimate winner. There's no doubt about that, but I don't think he's had a better run than Tom Brady. I think football is on top. 
Uh, and it, it takes nothing away from what these other guys have accomplished. When you start doing this and then you start rejecting the claims of others, it's like you're criticizing them or downgrading and um, downgrading them. And in no circumstances is that the point. It's more to elevate the other individual on the other side, not to downgrade those guys, and in this case, Bill Russell. But I just think basketball, how many teams did they have in the league? And there was no movement. So if you got the best players, you could see how you would be able to go and do what you were going to do. It just it makes sense that you would have that run. It would almost be a surprise if you didn't because that group of guys came back year after year. after. It's the same thing with the Yankees. And people will say Yogi Berra. He's hey, on the I list. Get, I'm about yeah. to get to him. Yes, Yogi won 10 titles. Yeah, and it's it's no one moved anywhere. They all came back. And it makes sense that that would be the case. But some of these guys played so long, though, that there's still age and retirement and your, uh, it's a different collection of guys, you know, in the start of your career versus the middle of your career versus the end of your career. And, and nobody did what Yogi did right before or right after him when there still wasn't any free agency. And the same matter for, for Bill Russell. I guess the, the, the Lakers won five titles in six years, but not 11 and 13. I still think Tom Brady's going to a cast of characters that changes over for New England. I mean, who on the offense is going to be Hall of Fame caliber? You would absolutely need a program to list all the guys. And then he comes here in his first season, does what he does, and it's just remarkable. And those other things are remarkable too, but I think in that situation, you know, some of it is right timing. Well, Brady doesn't need right timing. He's won at every decade that he's played, right? So, you know, if Yogi Berra or Mickey Mantle doesn't have as much because he came along later, if he would have come along earlier, would he have won more? Joe DiMaggio, he came along earlier than Yogi. So uh, Brady, no matter when he came along and what age he was, he was going to win. Joe DiMaggio uh, is one of the names thrown, uh, thrown up here on the list. That, that career, incredible. Nine-time World, World Series champion. Absolutely incredible. I can't argue that. I got a picture of him and Frank that I'm looking at in my room right now on the wall. And he missed a couple seasons due to World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who else can people, can you throw up here as people uh, want to say uh, Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Berra, Henri Richard, 11 Stanley Cups. Oh, jeez. Christopher just said. Christopher just sent in a gift. Haters gonna hate, and it's Vince McMahon. And the shoulders are back. The suit, the strut, couldn't couldn't be more. No, people the top. hate Tom Brady. Is there like, wow, I can't stand this guy? Yes. I haven't heard. I saw yesterday. I mean, they had a Trump hat in his locker. So, uh, you know, what's her face? Christine Brennan has to. She probably wrote a piece on that. The lady from USA Today who said that the, it's the worst day ever in Big Ten history when they decided to play football. I mean, it's so dramatic. We understand where politics are involved. And I saw somebody else. 
yesterday had a picture of Brady walking into the uh, stadium and he didn't have a mask. And so you took out his paw. And then you look at these people and you see their backgrounds. And, yeah, we get it. We see where you're leaning, you know. Bruce but it starts, it starts earlier than that, though. It starts with the Spygate and the Patriots cheating. And maybe maybe getting away from Belichick softens some of that, so maybe people feel better about the seventh title than of they did some of the Patriots. No, I think it's politically yeah. oriented right now, the hate for him. We need to come, in, as Bruce Springsteen said, we need, uh, let's meet in the middle, as long as my political preference is the one on top. I mean, come on. And that's no different for any side. Yeah, let's, It's time to meet in the middle. So you come over here. I'm not going over there. You come over here. So Lanny says, Babe Ruth, MJ, Brady. He's got the troika. It's tough to beat those three. Jeffrey says my money would be on Pele, but no knock on Brady at all. Getting to past the point where you can put a knock on him. I mean, he's got more Super Bowl titles than other franchises. Franchises have had 50 years to try and pile these things up. And he's played for, what, 20, is he 21 now? 21 years? Seven, seven titles? 21 years? Yeah. That's it's a crazy just, percentage. Just, and to be 43 years old. <laughs> no. And they want to break you in half, and they can't get to you. He's won 13% of all Super Bowls played. And I don't know, I can't argue that he's at the top of his game, but he's certainly plenty good enough, and that's all that matters. And the odds are out for next year, and they are uh, pretty good. It's uh, I think Chiefs are the favorite, and then the Packers, and then the Bucks. Back-to-back, an eighth title. Back to back with different well, clubs. I mean, you're just you're just piling on to the legacy at this point. It's like you're just making stuff up now. You're just like daydreaming at the beach, and then I'll change teams odds. and win two more. Those odds, I can't really say for sure because first of all, I really I don't know which team is going to draft Zach Wilson. Nice. So I can't put them out there just yet. Uh, it would be an amazing accomplishment, but I'm in a revel in this accomplishment. I love to see greatness, man, and that's what pro sports is about, and that's why I don't really have any pro teams. None of them matter to me any more than the others, and so just sit back and watch greatness. And you see Gronkowski, greatness. Just sit out a year, come back. I mean, this is an un, unheard of, unparalleled, unrivaled story that they've got. Bruce Arians, retired. Uh, in his mid-60s with the Cardinals, did a year in broadcasting, and then he comes back, and he brings a lot of the same guys, Lethridge and Bowles being at the top as coordinators. He had those guys in Arizona, so they had to go someplace. Now, obviously, Bowles went to the Jets and was the head coach. Those guys went someplace, and then everything has to come together when Arians decides to come back, that he goes and he gets his guys and gets them, bring, brings them back. And that's really amazing, too. It doesn't get as much run as Tom Brady, obviously, uh, being quarterback. And quarterback is the most glamorous position we have in team sports, in any team sport for sure. So you've got all that stuff together like that. And it took some time, as it should, and then they just reel off eight consecutive wins. It's just a great, great story. I mean, I love stories. 
that's why I don't get caught up in the, in the teams. Uh, and I get that. I'm different that way. But I love stories. This is a great, great story. It's like KC, their story's already been told. Can they add upon it? You know, But we can't just keep marveling at Mahomes. Uh, it's not compared to the Tampa Bay story. It's somewhat of the same old. Now, for them, they've got the challenge to come back, and I see no reason why they can't because Mahomes is just watching him on those plays that he was able to get the ball off when he's running around, circling back and forth, and his back is to the line of scrimmage, and he's going from side to side. Being able to get the throw was an amazing athletic feat, but he's an amazing athletic feat unto himself. And to see that was just, that was fun to watch. I felt bad for him that he wasn't getting the protection, and obviously they had the offensive line issues. Uh, I think some of it is exasperated by the fired-up nature of the Buccaneers. But when you look at it, the Buccaneers were the bigger story, and today they are the story. How long it can last remains to be seen. But if you're a lover of stories like I am, this is an amazing story. The uh, winner is usually going to be the bigger story. That's how that works. But the two two throws Mahomes made, scrambling, throwing the ball to the goal line, and hitting his receivers in the face mask – I mean, on the first one, he's running left. He's throwing with his right hand across yeah. his body, right. which, I mean, we've all watched enough football to hear a million times how hard that is to do, and you shouldn't do it. You're risking interception. And he's throwing off the wrong foot, too. And he, and he yeah. it, you know, and the funny thing is he hit Tyreek Hill in the face mask, and Hill's the one who had the quote last week that Yach played about he's throwing darts. Well, that's what he's talking about he right there. Dart and hitting you in the face but then, mask, but. as good as that throw was, I thought the second one was better. When he's going to the he's ground. horizontal to the yeah, ground. Yeah, he's horizontal to the ground, laying out and almost submarine. He almost, who was that old pitcher for the Royals who was a submariner? Dan Quisenberry. There it is. He's Dan Quisenberry, that thing down to the goal line. And again, and that ball may have been deflected, so maybe a pass on the receiver for that one. But uh, hit him in the face mask again. That's awesome, and I look forward to watching him play again. But the winner is usually the bigger story. And when you're sitting on a seventh Super Bowl and you turn around a team that had a losing record the year before, not by, not by much, but 7-9, and nine, nonetheless, a losing record. Spectacular. All right, DJ and PK, uh, some issues with Lincoln, but he's getting them all straightened out. He is going to join us next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Have we ever talked to John on the air? No, no, and I've got questions. Is he there? I'm here. Hey, John, how are hey, you? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, yeah. John, while we have you. No, no. We've had a, uh-huh. a, a long back and forth about a pitchfork incident. I want to know the details of my buddy here and your brother running a pitchfork through you. <laughs> we were out working and, you know, cleaning our ends or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he thought that he was like King Triton and he uh, threw that pitchfork and uh, oh! he sat <laughs> sure enough. He just right on the mark and put it right underneath the kneecap. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, I killed a guy with a trident. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision's New Year's special continuing through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of this month. Check out the specials at davisvisionmd.com. Time to welcome in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us... uh, all throughout the football season, he's here today to 
put a wrap on the season. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. I assume you watch the Super Bowl differently. While everybody else is staring at the quarterbacks, I assume you are staring at the offensive and defensive line play, and I bet you were horrified watching Kansas City's offensive line scramble to protect their quarterback. Well, you know what? For for what it's worth, during this run with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, one of the, if if there was a weakness in the offense, it was considered the consistency on the offensive line. Now they were able to make do and and be able to make plays, obviously to win the Super Bowl last year. But last night they were exploited, and and I, I guess what I was surprised mostly as is that is that during the time when the Chiefs have struggled, we've seen Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and this offense be able to make adjustments. Um, but they, they couldn't. And so you tip your hat to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because, for one, you know, Todd Bowles is notoriously known as a blitzing defensive coordinator. I think they ran blitzes probably maybe four or five times last night. Everything else was just rushing four and played coverage. So there's a couple of things that we take away from the game. Not only was it a, a royal drubbing, uh, but for the most part, going forward, the Chiefs are going to be good offensively. Uh, and they're going to be, they're still going to be good, you know, for years to come. But you might have seen sort of a formula to maybe negate some of their offensive output and maybe slow that down, slow down that offense a little bit. It seemed like when you have Tom Brady, obviously you're going to get the majority of the attention is going to be focused on that side of the ball. But from the start of the season till now, the defense of Tampa Bay really, really came on, and these guys looking at them in the playoffs played well and to me you know the offensive line of KC obviously is an issue but I thought the bigger issue was the success of the defense for Tampa Bay whether it's Bowles and obviously David and White and whoever Sue and Barrett all these guys all look like they were at the best at the time they needed to be could you respond to that I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly I think what you've seen especially out of this defense this defense played with an attitude where it rose to the occasion, almost like it was tired of everybody just focusing on the offensive firepower. They wanted to be claimed, and they wanted to, uh, to hear their name uh, and, and do some things. The defense is playing with an attitude, and I noticed it the first time in the playoffs when they played against New Orleans. The way they just they just seemed, you know, ornery. They were going to take what they were going to take, and you weren't going to have their way around, and they rode that throughout the, the playoffs. Yeah, when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks in history playing on your football team, he's going to get all the credit. And I've always thought about, you know, quarterbacks get way too much credit uh, and, 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 you know, when things go right and way too much blame when things go wrong. Uh, but he's going to get all the credit. But this defense played the way they were supposed to, and they really harassed Patrick Mahomes in this offense last night. Having said that, the difference in the game, I mean, both teams, you know, crossing midfield, having chances to score. Well, the Bucks had a half dozen good opportunities, and they got four touchdowns, kicked a field goal. They did get stuffed at the one-yard line on a goal line stand that no one will remember. Uh, and then for the the Chiefs, they have two passes to the goal line, hit receivers in the face, and I thought they were incredible throws by Mahomes across his body, off the wrong foot, rolling left, throwing right, that stuff, and then kind of the submarine delivery to the goal line. I mean, have we really seen a quarterback do this? I know other guys have had incredible arms and other guys have been scramblers, but this, I mean, those two were just unbelievable. You're absolutely right, but the, the, he, we've seen him do these things before, and that's what makes him so great. Uh, the fact is that because it's a total team game, those receivers have to catch those balls. 
You know, if, if, you know, those two passes that you're referring to were caught, especially the one that was down on the goal line, which hit the, you know, the wood receiver right in the face mask, if that was caught, we might be having sort of a different outcome or talking about a different outcome in this game. Not to say that, it, you know, it might have been a little bit more of a shootout than it seemed to be one-sided, but the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been good during their run over the last couple of years of scoring touchdowns and making their offense one of their better defenses, the best defense is by putting pressure on opposing teams. They couldn't do that last night. And the field goals, just to get some points on the board, didn't slow the momentum of the Buccaneers. Conversely, it put more pressure on the Chiefs' offense to try to make plays, and Tampa Bay was right there waiting for it, right there waiting, knowing what you're going to do. So they doubled Tyreek Hill. They double Travis Kelsey. They were able to rush four and drop seven and play combo coverages on the back and not get beat deep. And there were other players on the Chiefs team that just did not make plays. So I'm not sure if they got a little full of themselves. They didn't want to show up. What happened? But Patrick Holmes can't throw to himself and catch everything and do everything himself. He, he tried to do the best he could. So as the analyst for the Raiders, you had the opportunity to see the Chiefs up close twice, including a one time when the Raiders actually won. I believe it was in KC. So as I yep. analyze the Chiefs in relationship to the AFC West, you get the Raiders – you know, they a little bit of improvement. Expect to see some more Herbert over there with the Chargers and all that. Do you see the Chiefs capable of putting together a Patriots-like run? What I mean by that, I'm just talking about how the Patriots dominated the AFC East for so long. I'm not necessarily talking about winning Super Bowls. I'm talking about winning the division year after year. The Chiefs will be good. They'll, they'll be competitive. The difference to me is I think the AFC West, as compared to the AFC East, where the, where the Patriots dominated, is getting progressively better. We didn't see, you know, when, when, when Brady and the Patriots had their run, you saw, you know, teams like the Jets, the Dolphins try to make strides, but they were never able to get over the hump and challenge the Patriots. And that's one of the things that was lacking for hard to believe, but it was two decades. Other teams just couldn't get it right. I think there's a little bit difference in the AFC West. I think when you talk about the Chargers having a quarterback and Justin Herbert, they're going to find a way to, to be competitive. I think the Raiders are still going to be competitive, and they're going to challenge the Chiefs. The Chiefs have a, have a big problem. They, they committed so much to their quarterback, and rightfully so, that they have to address that offensive line. Um, and what it looks like right now, Eric Fisher, their, their franchise left tackle, is going to miss all of next season. Um, and he probably is going to count significantly against the cap. And what I mean by that is anywhere from upward of 13 to 15 million. That's a big thing when you talk about having to get this offensive line better. You might not have as much resources as you think, and that might be the difference. The Patriots didn't really have to worry about that problem because they had a way of controlling the overhead and everything. The Chiefs are going to be a little bit different because the resources they paid out to Patrick Mahomes is going to probably affect them on some other end. I think this, I'm not saying that they're not going to be good or they're going to fall off the top, but they're going to be challenged in different ways because they're not going to be able to hold it together as well as the Patriots did back in the day. So are you hearing any, uh, any good dirt in NFL circles as far as Deshaun Watson? How far is he going to push this? And how much is, are things going to settle down in Houston? And he'll be upset, but he'll stay. Or, or these two are going to go to the mat, and he's going to try to get out of there, and they're going to try to keep him, and it's just going to go on. I think what's going to have to happen is you've got to sort of you got to court Deshaun Watson as though you're in college and you're trying to recruit him because he has a say so and, and that no trade clause. So there are still teams that are lobbying for you know position to try to figure out a deal. But um, the first thing that's going to happen that we're going to see in the next couple of days is where Carson Wentz is going to go. 
And I think you'll take a couple of teams out of that once they figure that out. I don't know if 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 I was a general manager, say if I was a general manager, Mike Mayock and the Raiders, I would make a push to get Deshaun Watson. I know a lot of Raider fans probably don't want to hear it, but I, I think he's a fervent winner that will probably put you over the top. More importantly, he's a guy that can, can extend the play with his legs, and I think that's critical in today's game. Uh, with that being said, I don't know how far the Raiders want to give, how much they want to give up, um, but the mindset that the Rams took when they traded Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions and what they gave to get a quarterback so they can win now should be the overwhelming mindset of a lot of teams in the National Football League. Stop trying to worry about building for the future. If you have the ability to win now, make a play for a valuable player and make it happen. As we look at the NFL going forward, obviously it's a pass-driven league now with all the rule changes and all that. Uh, but you see teams like Baltimore and Tennessee who try to do it with the run. Is that, is that possible to have the high level of success if you're more run-oriented run versus passing? Yes, it is possible. Good old-fashioned football still wins, in my opinion. They run in the ball and play in defense. However, the big part is playing defense. You can't – if you're a running football team like the Baltimore Ravens or Tennessee Titans, you and especially in the AFC, you can't afford to allow a team like the Kansas City Chiefs to jump ahead of you by two touchdowns and think that you're going to be able to stay in it. So you have to play ball control, and more importantly, you have to score touchdowns. When it comes down, especially in the AFC, when you look at it for the future, whether it's Buffalo or you know Tennessee or Baltimore, they're going to have to score touchdowns to keep pace with these high-power offenses. Running the ball and controlling the clock doesn't mean anything when you have a, a capable offense that can go down and score in a couple of plays, big play threat. So, yes, the the future is still uh, you know with the, the passing league and the ability these quarterbacks to to do things like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, so on and so forth. But it's still going to come down to good old fashioned football. You got to be able to run the ball. Hey, are you surprised that Alabama can lose fifteen people? A combination of assistant coaches and analysts. That kind of turnover doesn't seem to bug Saban at all. He just—I I assume he just gets a flurry of resumes and phone calls, and there's just a line of people trying to get in the door. But it still seems like that kind of turnover. But nothing impacts him. Even that kind of turnover. Yeah, you know, one one thing that you can take in, in South when it comes to Alabama is that. We already know they've got blue chippers sitting on the fence, on the on the bench. They've got you know top 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 recruits waiting for their chance to go in because you know they're recruiting to us that your your kid will be in the National Football League in the next three years. Uh, the, the same thing goes for a lot of the coaches. It's a stepping stone. Um, I'm not surprised. I I am surprised that the rest, like the SEC, for example, just can't catch up. Whatever Alabama is doing. If you could try to put together a good class, we saw what LSU did, you know, a year back when they ran, won the national championship. But other than that, they they weren't able to, to to keep it going. There has not been any consistency, especially for that the rest of that division. Yes, Florida's in the conversation, Georgia's in the conversation, but none to the extent of Alabama. And to me, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that every year we're going to talk about the same. Well, for me, for at least immediate future, we're going to talk about the same top college football teams: Ohio State. Clemson, and Alabama. There's got to be more parity in this country than just those three teams. But those are going to be the reflection because those are the ones that are on top, and no one else is really close to, 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 to dethroning them. Now, we'll see how the Pac-12 does next year when you know Oregon and Washington have to take on Ohio State. It's a way to get some recognition, but you got to win those football games. And in the past, Pac-12 hasn't been able to do it. 
No, it's kind of boring when it comes to that, seeing the same two or three teams in there. Very boring. I, I mean, I love college football, but then right at the end, it's, it's like uh, you're going to see this great movie, and then the last uh, couple of scenes, eh, that sucked. Yeah. I just can't. I can't get into it. I did want to ask you one other question about uh, the uh-huh. Bucks, though. Yeah. They, we, we keep hearing that uh, – the players, even going back to Arizona, love to play for Bruce, Bruce Arians. What does that right. mean? It means, you know, every coach I've ever played for, and trust me, my league, especially in the National Football League, I had a lot of different coaches. Every coach had the same theme opening day. Buy into what we're selling. Buy into our program. You know, devout yourself to – what we believe in, in our way, and we're going to try to take you to the promised land. And Bruce Arians is no different. The, the fact that he allowed Tom Brady to come to the team, well, one thing, that they got him. But the fact he allowed to bring somebody like an Antonio Brown, some like a Justin Fournette, I mean, Jason Fournette, the, these players that came in from other teams and combined, you know, the Indomitian Sues and, the, you know, the Barretts and all the players, all the different personalities – they blend it, and they still find a way to win a championship. It's very commendable. You don't see that on a lot of teams, especially in the National Football League, because the personalities generally rule. But you had a LaShawn McCoy on the bench. I mean, you, you had namesakes, for what it's worth, on this team, and they all contributed to the season's win. That's a great testament to Bruce Arians. And one of the things that most people love about him, especially working with him, is that he allows them to be him themselves. So the coaches – they, he allows them to coach. He doesn't micromanage them. He, he's the one. He's the sort of the overseer, but he doesn't micromanage people and allows them to give the freedom to express themselves, to explore their abilities and see what they can do. And if they need help, they can come to him and approach him and figure it out. But people love working with him because he allows them to be themselves. Lincoln, we appreciate you coming on all year long and talking football with us. And uh, we promise not to bother you until spring football starts. <laughs> Which Guys, isn't that far away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is it, a month or so? Anyway. I know, right? <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Be safe. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Lincoln. Lincoln Kennedy, former Raider player, University of Washington, great, and now on the Raider broadcast team and a Pac 12 network analyst. DJ and PK, the Utah Jazz, do it again. Four in a row. 15 out of 16. We will get to that next. Are you dreaming? You going to let yourself dream now? How much more winning do you need? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, I want to remind you, Valentine's Day is Sunday, and flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy. Just visit them at jimmysflowers.com. And remember, Valentine's is on Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. <laughs> All right, PK, the Jazz, do it again. Four in a row, they sweep the road trip. Throw a little adversity in there. They don't get to hit a bunch of threes, a flurry of them, and run somebody off the court by 20 points. They don't get to have the whole team. They're missing Mike Conley, hamstring tightness. They're grinding away, and they don't flinch, and they pull it out, and they get the win. 103-95, play some defense, hold the Pacers under 100 points, find a different way to win, and they did it. And that is now 15 out of 16. This is more than a month of great results. And yet, some jazz fans don't want to fully embrace it. They're waiting. I do. <laughs> Why not, right? And that win yesterday, oh, even though it wasn't yeah. as flashy, it was actually encouraging. 
And you can't blow everybody off the court by 20. You got to grind at some point. You can't always have all your guys. You, you're going to miss guys at some point. Yes, and the the way you look at it, these teams, a lot of these teams that they're blowing out, the Atlantis of the world, they're not competing for anything that you're competing with, so you should blow them out uh, on a regular basis, not all the time. I mean, if you played, I just use Atlanta as an example, but I mean, if you played them 20 times in a season, I don't think you're going to probably beat them 20 times in a row, uh, but you're going to win a high percentage of them because they're not in your caliber. So everybody does this in the league. It doesn't matter what it is, uh, what league. You know, not every team is great, and you got to fatten up on the crummier teams or the lesser teams. And certainly the Jazz have been doing that. And, you know, when you play the better teams, it's going to be more difficult, and that's how you're going to be judged, which is the definition of the postseason but to get there, I was listening to James Harden talking about that bizarre situation the other night with uh, Kevin Durant where he couldn't play the game at the beginning because of the tracing. Then they let him in the game. Then they got to take him out of the game. And it just doesn't – I don't understand it, but I'm not there to discuss that. The point being that James Harden was uh, talking in his Zoom afterward about how it's so frustrating because they can't get any rhythm going because all these things are happening and you're trying to get rhythm to set yourself up for the postseason, right? And they have, obviously, postseason aspirations, much like the Jazz do. Well, the great thing about the Jazz is that they're able to get the rhythm going here, and it's been going for a while and they've had great results, and they should have these great results because it's obvious that they're better than the majority of these teams. And if they should play face the Clippers and the Lakers, those will be tough games. And the Nuggets, maybe, uh, you know, if they get the one seed and the Nuggets get the four, you know, the boom, that, that's going to be great playoffs right off the bat. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't play the uh, Nuggets in the first round if you got them at the fourth seed. You get the eighth seed or whoever that team is. We understand all that. But in the second round, then, it would be very, very difficult. So it's good to have these games that things don't go as well. And I thought that's what we had with the Pacers. And so we've got this great stretch where everybody seems to know their role to the highest level. And then, okay, now you're not those roles. You're not uh, just playing to the best of your ability in those roles. So find other ways. And that's what they did. But as you say, 15 out of 16, man, that is a lot of winning. Yeah, it really is. You know, if it, if, if it were like 12 out of 16, we'd be sitting here going, well, they, they, they've won 75% of their games over more than a month, which, you know, that that's a 60-win pace in a full season. That's an impressive pace. But they're, they're beyond that. And I, I guess the, the last hurdle left here, well, I guess there's two hurdles left. There's always two, PK. There's always two. But the last regular season hurdle here is these next few weeks, they're playing three of the top four in the in the East, and they're playing the Clippers twice and Lakers once. So, you know, six out of ten, I guess now with the Pacer game, I think it's six of the next nine games are against don't, some don't high blow tomorrow's end, show, though. high-end competition. Don't, don't, and we'll talk about tomorrow that show. tomorrow when the Jazz play the Celtics. <laughs> so gear up for that. But before we look ahead, let's look back. 15 out of 16, and in that rain, in that run, they've now lost Conley for a game. They've lost Mitchell for two, and have they lost Ingles for two or three? I can't remember. It's been a little while now. But I think it was a couple early, and then obviously Favors, too. Favors also was out, too. Yeah. 
So they've taken some hits along the way. You know, if you had the perfect health, that would be a little unusual in the NBA. So they haven't had to deal with anything catastrophic or massive, but there have been, you know, potholes along the way. So check that box, too. Sure, and I think that's important to note because you lose a kid like Mitchell, okay, you don't have anybody who can replace Mitchell A to Z in his game. But what you do have, you have players who can replace parts of Mitchell's game, right? So you have with the ability to shoot, Bogdanovich can reel off 30 points and no one's going to be shocked. Uh, Joe Ingle is probably not going to get you 30, but you know he can get you 15. Point being is that you have guys who are capable of filling in for these other dudes when they go out. So Conley, you know, Joe had uh, just a couple games ago, I think he had, what, 10, 11 assists, right? So we know he can do that. So they have a lot of moving parts to where if someone goes down – well, hopefully not for an extended period, but for a game here and there, that's you're going to have that in every single season. You have the ability to replace them portions of what they do, and the collective then is good enough, particularly against an opponent that isn't quite as good, to get the job done. And I think that's what we've seen. And that's that's also been fun to watch, to see these guys pick up and uh, whatever that individual is that's missing – replace him and if you do a little bit I do a little bit you know we've got enough I don't I, I think that uh, probably you know Gobert goes down that is the most difficult to replace uh, because you can't expect favors to play 45 minutes uh, you know go Gobert is like the one piece that you don't want to have happen because what he provides it's so he provides it a at a high level and b I don't know that you have somebody who can replace that consistently and then if you move favors up well who replaces favors you know then then you have some real issues there. You know the one thing and he said it right after Shaq and Shaq got all the headlines and Kenny Smith said man the Jazz they got to shoot it really well to win. Well, that's kind of how the NBA is going. I mean, that's kind of that's what we're going to hold all these teams up to. You know, in, in the Lakers, it feels a little different with LeBron and AD, but everybody is dependent on three-point shooting these days. And it was good that the Jazz won a game where they didn't shoot the three well. They need to get back to shooting the three well, and I expect they will get back to shooting the three well. But the, the, the top teams in the league right now shooting the three, Clippers in order, Clippers one, Jazz two, Bucks, Nets, Lakers. Those are the top five teams. Well, who's at the top of the standings? Who's got the championship expectations? It's like shooting the three is where it's at. And all the other stuff, I mean, it's important, but the three's really important. Underline it. Put a couple exclamation points after it. It's not an accident that all these elite teams are shooting the three really well. And the Jazz are second on the list and have shot the three really well for a long period of time. So it's no surprise that they've won a bunch of games over a long period of time, 15 out of 16 now. I think you got to connect those two. And if you think, oh, well, they're going to they're gonna start dropping games, are they really? Are they going to start shooting the three poorly? Because that's what a lot of this rides on. Well, that's the way they built their team. And we were watching a game yesterday. Uh, my wife was paying attention a little bit there. 
Yesterday was a great sports day. I had the Jazz early. I had golf in the middle, and, and then rounded it out with the Super Bowl. The trifecta. Watched, uh, Look at you hit the trifecta. Yeah. I also watched uh, afterward, after the Jazz were done, I watched the end of the uh, second half of the Suns-Celtics uh, game. Uh, that was on NBA TV. But I don't so. want to distract you too much here, but was it weird for you watching the golf with so few people? If you had like 5,000 at the tournament, and you know they usually have these you know, basically stadium holes set up there and just massive crowds. You've been there in person. You've watched on TV. Did that really strike you as weird, or did you adjust pretty quickly? I adjusted because we've been going through the whole season now with no fans. So I'm used to it. It's it's many golf tournaments that we've watched had no fans. You see what I'm saying? Back when they when did they restart? Uh, in, in somewhere over the summer. When was it? When they when the PGA Tour came back, and so you had that. Plus on Sundays, that's the smallest day of the Phoenix Open. So many people come into town right. and they travel they on take Sunday. off. Yeah. Uh, or they're, they're gearing up for the Super Bowl. And for years, we've gone down uh, for that week. For many, many years, I've done that. And then I always travel back uh, in the morning uh, to do the come back through the Super Bowl. And then we have television. We didn't have that last night because we were preempted. And actually, to get sidetracked, I'm thinking next year. Because I always thought, oh, man, in the years to come when I retire, I'm going to stay on Sunday and watch that. Well, actually, now that we've been doing the TV stuff on Skype, I'm thinking next year I don't come back until Monday. And then I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I can could. Skype television wherever I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we, we... mark that down next year. <laughs> do it. Absolutely. I'm going to be there on that Sunday because that's the day it has the fewest people. Uh, they have crowds of over 200,000, and it's just an absolute zoo. And so on Sunday, the crowds are a third of that. And so I, I was thinking about that yesterday. I'm going to do that um, and watch, going to be there on a Sunday and be standing adjacent 18. I've played that course uh, one time, so and I've been there many times. So mark that down next next year. If they give me the gear, I'll do the show Monday from uh, my sister's house. If they don't, then I'm taking the day off. It's up to them. So anyway, we're watching the game, and I'm telling her, and she's she's aware of the Jazz shooting threes because she's watched enough with me uh, from time to time. And it was obvious they weren't hitting their threes. And I was telling her, I said, you know, this is really a genius way that they've put together this team because you can't necessarily always run out the best athletes. But what they've done, this formula – is really working to a very high level. I mean, they do have some athletes. I mean, even the slow-mo Joe, totally I, I think he has enough athletic ability yeah. Yeah, to, to, to play. He does, he's not a big high flyer and all that stuff, but he's got such a high skill level. So what they do, they have this defensive anchor that is awesome in the middle, and then they've got a bunch of guys who've got – High-level skill. They may not be like this incredible athlete. And Bogdanovich has great athletic ability, too. But he's not, you know, we're not going to compare him to Antetokounmpo, not that you can compare many to them, to him. But I don't think that's necessary because I don't think some of the, Jordan was a phenomenal athlete, but you look at some of the great players in the Magic and the Bird, they weren't necessarily these overwhelming athletes, but they had high-level skill combined with high-level basketball IQ. 
and know how to play the game, know what they're, what is wanted out of the system that they're using. And that's what we're seeing with the Jazz, that these guys, they, they, Conley has fine athletic ability. He's not just a necessarily a high-flying dunker and all that. Mitchell can uh, he can compete athletically with anybody. We understand all that. But everybody else has enough, plus their basketball IQ is very, very high, and they have that skill to be able to hit these shots, and the spacing that they're providing is something that really, really works. And it's fun to see because it would be great to see. If, if, I'm, an NBA, if I'm a pure NBA fan, and, I'm, and I don't have a necessarily an allegiance to one specific team, but I just love the game of basketball – I would be a big-time Jazz fan to see what this team is capable of doing because then we just spoke with Lincoln Kennedy how we get down the last two weeks of the college football season, and it's boring as can be because it's the same teams every freaking year. And I realize TV power and star power, and that's what you want in the ratings and all that, but I don't care about that. I care about the beauty of the individual sports. And to watch what the Jazz are doing is something that you can enjoy. And if they can take it to the highest level i think it's great for the game it may not be great for the tv ratings a portion of the game but for the purity of the basketball itself i think it's great i guess the one thing that some fans have to be yelling is yeah it's always lebron at the end though sometimes he wins sometimes he loses like alabama alabama doesn't win every year but they're in the mix every year they're certainly in the semis and they're usually in the final and and lebron is yeah, I get it. always in the <laughs> He's, well, I mean, he had the one year he's hurt with L.A., you know, what, two seasons ago now. But other than that, the guy is just a mm-hmm. constant presence in the NBA Finals. And so, but uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if someone can take him down. Uh, I just think you have to give the NBA credit, too, for tweaking the rules to make the three. And you got to give credit to the players because they're making the shots. And, you know, they have who knows how many shots they've gotten up to over the course of their careers to get to the point where they can shoot 40% in NBA games. I mean, I can remember a few years ago we were talking about there's only 40 players in the league that can shoot 40% from three, and that seemed to be the number for a while. And now suddenly we've gotten to the point where there's four teams shooting 40% from three. So there there are a lot of people focused on this and getting that skill level, like you say. You know, the thing that hurt the Jazz in the past was the constant switching. And at times it seems to bug them, and at other times they seem to handle it. And maybe they're getting a handle on that over time, just the sheer repetition of it. Donovan was talking about that in a Zoom interview after the game, that he's seen everything, and now it's a question of seeing it all the time. And he was breaking it down. He was talking about the dribbles he uses to set up the pass, you know, when he's got to throw left or right hand and he's got to cross over and based on who's defending him. And just the sheer repetition of doing that. But one thing with all the switching is stop with the pick-and-roll game and just have your guys uh, find the get, have them switch until you get the weakest matchup and then beat that guy off the dribble. Just one-on-one, get out of the way, and uh, Scotty Pippen, get the hell out of the way, and let that guy, and whether it's Mitchell, for a long time Mitchell was the only guy who had a chance to do it, but now Mitchell Clarkson takes people off the dribble all the time. Uh, the trade for him was good for multiple reasons, and that's one of them. And acquiring Conley. Conley would beat guys off the dribble. He had a bucket in Charlotte, I think, was it right at the end of the half or the 
one of the quarters. I can't remember. But he went he went baseline and hit a little floater with, I think, two-tenths of a second left or something. Just took a guy one-on-one. And so having that in the repertoire, you know, three guys, where's the weak matchup? Okay, now beat that guy off the dribble. That may give them one more way when things start to, you know, they start to hit the wall in a playoff series, one more way to score that they haven't had in the past. Well, I think that Mitchell obviously has a ton of athletic ability, but that's where I'm saying the other guys have a, have enough that in circumstances can be able to do that. You, you just can't have a bunch of spot-up shooters right. who don't exactly. have any athletic ability because that's going to that's gonna wear you down. You've got to be able to move, and I think they have enough guys who can move and enough guys who can roll, and you always got Gobert there as he's rolling to chuck the ball up towards the ceiling and have him come <laughs> get it, and he has the ability to do that there. Things are going well. I think things are going about as well as can be expected. 15 out of 16 in any circumstance. I don't care, as I say, if you played the Hawks all 16 times, I'm not sure you could beat them. 15 times so to be able to win this level of this many games at this point and play at this level is really really great and it's not a question of are they peaking and all that stuff i don't really buy that because shooting shooting can come and go but do you peak as a shooter you know you have better stretches than others but I think that it's a variable to the level of night to night. Now, the Jazz have extended it to where it's not necessarily night to night. It's something that is there much more prevalent from night to night. It isn't a situation of what was it going to be tonight. No, it's like now we're expecting them to have a good shooting night, and they didn't have it. And I get it. You know, you're tired. I just don't like introducing the mindset of, oh, we're tired. This is going to be tough because I think that's going to do something that's going to allow you to almost beat yourself, and you don't want to be in that situation here. And so they weren't hitting, so find other ways. And rebounding that was just – awesome one i don't know that they'll have a better rebounding game the rest of the season and that gave them opportunities particularly on offense for second chance points to where i think that was the big difference 20 some second chance points you're going to win a ton of ball games if you're doing that yeah i don't mind so much the acknowledgement that hey it's three games in less than 72 hours you're gonna be tired but it's the next thing that comes after that can't be so we're probably going to lose this that's okay, what I'm saying. now you're throwing in the towel. The next thing has to be is recognize reality. It is three games in 72 hours. You probably will be tired. So what do you have to do? You got to grind a little more. You got to stop shooting threes and get into the paint and get the ball to Rudy for dunks or have Clarkson finishing or whoever. Uh, you got more rebounds, more second chance points. Are we going to get to the free throw line more? You know what's the next thing? But have that next idea, and then of course you got to have the talent to execute it and actually well make defensively it too. Yeah, 95 points is a good number. You're going to win a lot of games if you hold teams to 95 points. There were three teams that didn't get to 100 points in the NBA yesterday, and all three of them lost. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's like, okay, it's going to be hard to shoot the three. You're going to be tired. What else can you do to win the game? And then you've got to have the ability to pull it off, and they did. So 15 out of 16, do you truly believe now? we got a lot of people lining up at Facebook with their answers to that. And there's already people. Did you know there were this many superstitious people here? There's a lot not. of a lot of superstitious people here. We will get to that next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 the zone. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Have we ever talked to John on the air? No, no, and I've got questions. Is he there? I'm here. Hey, John, how are hey, you? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, John, yeah. while we have you. No, no. <laughs> We've had a, uh-huh. a, a long back and forth about a pitchfork incident. I want to know the details of my buddy here and your brother running a pitchfork through you. <laughs> we were out working and, you know, cleaning our ends or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he thought that he was like King Triton and he uh, threw that pitchfork and that is true enough. He sat on the mark and put it right underneath the kneecap. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, and I killed a guy with a trident. Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now in any regularly priced blankets with the code word WELCOME30 at MikaCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Layton, Draper, Orm, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Mickey Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MikaCouture.com. 15 out of 16, 3-0 on the road trip, winning without key players. When is it time to start dreaming, Jazz fans? Aaron says, when they're up by 20 points with one second to go in the fourth quarter of the NBA Finals clinching game. And not a second before. (laughs) Come on. Enjoy it. Why not? Tony says, not yet. Reality is still very prevalent. We'll just enjoy the current ride. I like the way they're playing. It's a lot of fun to watch. It is a lot of fun to watch. I tweeted that out the other night, that uh, just watching them bury all these threes, move the ball around, and not have one dude just pound the ball into the to court and all that stuff, that, that's boring to me. And have this ball being moved around. Basketball, when it's played the right way, it could be really fun to watch. It could also be boring. If it's just one guy doing all the shooting and it's not a team game, but if it's played at the team level and you're utilizing the skills of everybody out on the floor, uh, then it becomes really fun, and that's what they're having, you know. And Joe Joe Ingles always seems like he's having the time of his life out there and really enjoying it, and I love to see that. I love to see that he's just grateful that he's able to do it and then move the ball around and find ways to win. That becomes fun. But when you're winning 15 out of 16 – why would, and you have the best record in the league, why wouldn't you start to think, hey, well, at minimum, why not? I mean, they, they've played a, you know, a fair number of games now, right? What's their record? I want to say 19-5, and five, but let me look it up to make sure. 19-5. and 19-5, there it is, 19-5. So that's just three games away from playing 25 games. That's a significant portion of the time to look at, right? Bad math. You know how I am. It's like, that would be one-third of a full NBA season. Oh, you know, it's just PK screwing around. (laughs) (laughs) I should have known. So we got a a decent enough sample. You know, we're starting to get there right now, right? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement in the standings. I think the teams that, barring major injury, the teams that have broken away will stay in their group. And the teams that are battling, maybe one team will get it together and pull away. But they'll probably battle just just like teams were battling last year and two years ago when the Jazz, well, last year they were the sixth seed and the year before they were the five. Uh, but there wasn't much. We, those years we were talking about, man, there's four or five teams just stacked right on top of each other. And it's the same thing right now. Okay, so why wouldn't I believe now at this point that the Jazz are not contenders? 
I don't understand. Why wouldn't I believe? The only reason, well, first off, I think you should. And I think the only reason you shouldn't is that for some people, they're just looking at the Lakers like, I do not want to get my hopes up and get all fired up and then have LeBron and Lakers beat the Jazz and win the title. And see, the thing is that you're using the word contender. You're not using the word favorite. And you go on Twitter with the word contender, and Laker fan will slap you down and laugh at you. You're not a contender. In the Lakers world, there are no contenders. It's simply they're going to win the title, and everybody, I know, right? There aren't 100% locks. You can be an overwhelming favorite, but you can't be a lock in the NBA on February 8th. It's It's not over. I mean, it might take catastrophic injuries, but it's only been two years since we watched two of the Warriors' three best players go down with major injuries in the finals when it looked like they were going to do it, and suddenly, oh, they're not going to do it. (laughs) Now they're missing two guys. Well, LeBron lost to the Dallas Mavericks in the finals, did he not? Yeah, but that was also younger, less experienced LeBron who hadn't won a title, and now he knows how. And, and, hey, they could still screw it up, but it seems less likely now than it did then. It was the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, I don't care who it was. I don't care what experience or inexperience he had. He's with. He had a Hall of Famer and possibly another Hall of Famer with him, and they they didn't get it done. So it's doable. It's not like he's all that. He's not. Un- this is not Jordan here, who was literally undefeated in the finals. LeBron is not undefeated in the finals, not not even close. So, and he's lost games. And so, uh, what are we going to do? Well, how about the Cleveland losses? Well, they had injuries. We're we just going to keep making excuses for every time LeBron loses. I realize he's a national hero and a crusader and many people, no matter whatever whatever he says, and we're going to see that now with the All-Star thing, now that he's spoken, thus saith LeBron, and now a lot of folks are going to fall in line as Anto DeCumbo said, well, the big dogs say it, so I got to follow in line. And it's like, they're sheep. Whatever LeBron says, he must be right because he's LeBron. Great. But nevertheless, he's had his playoff failure. And so... How, how can I? Why can't I say this is not? This is going to be one of these. Excuse me. How many back to backs has LeBron won? One in Miami. Yeah. And he should have. Oh yeah, there's a strong argument that he should have got three or four. Not four, not five, not six. Blah blah blah. So, I I think he's beatable. And yeah, is it going to be difficult? But fine, it, it ought to be, it's difficult. Going to be difficult. If you're going to win a championship, yeah. it ought to be difficult. Yeah, but I think this team is a contender. Well, if they're not, they can then play who with is? anybody. There, there are no locks. There has to be a contender. There has to be somebody in the mix. Doesn't yeah, mean I'm not you get caught up in this lock stuff. I mean, I, I, that that doesn't even enter my mind. I'm not. Just be. You can not be a contender. And not have locks, too. I don't think those things are exclusive. Somebody's If it's not a lock, then there's a contender. There's a favorite, and then there's contenders. Right, but there's plenty of teams that aren't contenders, even though we don't have a lock, is what I'm saying. So there's plenty of teams that are not contenders for the title. Yes, I mean, we've talked but about it. It's 20, that doesn't mean that there's usually, a lock out there. In the NBA, at least 25 and usually 26 or 27 teams are not contenders. But I think the Jazz and Clippers are clearly contenders. And as we've seen, if you come out of the East, even though the East is not only not good, but really looking like they're bad, 
But if you're there and there's one series to go and there's injuries, you might be able to pull it off. Drummed so what's your big ago. superstition that you were talking about? Oh, there's people here uh, tweeting at us. I mean, don't you tease that. Don't uh, don't talk about you. You can't talk about it. Shh, just enjoy the ride from Robert. Like if you speak about it, it can't happen. Well, then I'm out of a job. <laughs> Right, we're just gonna sit here. We'll just sit here quietly and think about the jazz. You sit there quietly and think about the jazz. Some people I have like quiet. to talk about it. <laughs> By definition, I've got to talk about it. <laughs> I don't have any problem talking about it. Jonathan Tabernari, the former Cougar. When you actually get to the finals or win it all, jazz fans think the basketball world should be drooling over what they've accomplished so far. Boo hoo! Keep this up for the whole season. Make it to the finals, and then you get the respect you deserve and to dream about things. Well, at that point, there's no need of dreaming if, if it's You've reality. You've already got the title. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, this, this is the essence of the regular season. Is, and that's what, that's what the regular season should be about, about finding yourselves, see where you fit on the totem pole, and if you're at the top, well, then you should be able to think about it because if you can't, then the regular season really becomes completely and totally a waste of time. If you're a Jazz fan this morning and you cannot let yourself think about, hey, is this team the team? Is this the year? If you can't let yourself think about that, then what in the world are you thinking about relative to the Jazz and NBA basketball? Because as you reach, and we already said the other day, was the quarter pole. And if you're at that and I've been to a million horse races at the time, if you're leading and there's 10 horses in the field and you are number one at the quarter pole, well, your owner, your trainer, if you put a $2 bet on that horse, you're thinking, hey, I got a shot here. And if you don't, then what's the point? If it's just going to be LeBron and whatever stooge comes out of the East, well, then that's no fun. It's like going to a movie that you've seen 500 times. And you can enjoy it a little bit, but not yeah, like the first gonna, time. I was going to say, you've watched The Godfather so many times. Careful with that analogy. Nah, <laughs> but I, I, I don't get the same enjoyment as I did the first couple of times. And yeah. I don't watch it start to finish. I never Watch it start to finish now. Never. Drop in during a commercial in the game and then drop out again. Right. And and you're going to have fun with something like that. You have to watch it with somebody the first time. The first time I showed it to my son, that was awesome to watch his reaction as he realized what was happening and what was, what then, what had to happen next. (sighs) When he realized Michael Corleone was a cold hearted, you know what? (laughs) He was a family man. That too. Yeah. And yeah, in the middle take of care of the family. When he was when he was at church, and all of a sudden people started getting whacked. He was just like, <laughs> my son was I don't know probably like eighth grade. He's like, oh, this dude is so cold. This dude, and it's one mobster after another. Yeah, that was pretty fun to watch. Well, that. They, because they went against him, exactly. man. Exactly. I mean, you all- conspire to kill me. What am I supposed to do? Give you a a bouquet of flowers from proflowers.com. Use the code DJ. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> well, I will for your funeral. Yes. But it's about family. That's what that. This is just the movie is just about family. It's overrated, all that other stuff. So, I mean, Carlo, come on. Get out of my sight. I mean, you had it coming. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. So. Uh, 
good friend, I guess we'll call him, a good friend of the show, just texted in, probably not a bad thing if they're out of a job, I'll take over. Any idea who sent that in just barely to me via text? No, you tell Lacombe that he's not going to take my job. It's not Tim. <laughs> okay, you tell Whittingham, forget it. <laughs> Sorry, Kyle's not it either. That was a good one. <laughs> Kyle doing sports right. radio would be hilarious. Pace, well, Dennis and I Pace, don't listen to us this early in the morning. Come on now. Dennis and I have worked on a lot of things, and but we're collaborative. I don't think each one of us wants the other's job. You're getting closer. Joe. That's our boy. There it is. <laughs> Come on down, Joe, anytime. Don't limit yourself to Thursdays. You'd be great on a Monday. Give it a shot. <laughs> Joe, you know, you always tell when Joe's taking his daughter to school. Yeah, it is. It's right, it's right in the window right now, right? Yeah. Got to be there by 9. Got to be there by 9. I, I say dream Just, the freak away on this, man. This team is kicking butt 15 out of 16. What the freak, man? Why wouldn't you think about how good can this team can be? I, I don't. I honestly, at this point, I don't understand it. You don't fluke your way into nineteen and five. That's impossible. And they're doing it now with stuff going wrong. That's the best part. They miss Joe. They win. He comes back. They miss Donovan. They win. He comes back. Now that well, missing Mike Joe is actually a benefit to the team. <laughs> now, now Mike Conley misses a game. They win. But it doesn't look like he's going to be gone that long. I haven't heard anything official. I wouldn't be surprised if he missed the Celtic game. But that, that would, if he missed the Celtic game, the way the schedule falls, he'll get a week off. And, you know, it's hamstring tightness. True. And he was out and there. And they, they got a they, bunch of games after that. Right. right? They had video. They do. They, yeah, they go back to back on a Friday and Saturday. And they had yeah. video of him out there doing stuff before the game. So it's not like, you know, it's not like when you see players going to walking boots or something, you can just think, oh, well, they're shut down for two oh, or three fine. weeks. If he sits out a game, he sits out right. a game. whoop de doo And that's the thing. They're 19 and 5. And they've had to miss these guys and find a different way to win. The three ball isn't going in. Find a different way to win. Hold somebody to 95 points. Get 17 offensive rebounds. Find a way to win. And they did. The only thing I can really say about Joe definitively (laughs) is he is the second best left-hander on this team. Uh, Nice. Now, now in baseball, and Joe to drive probably a wedge between him and Mike. Come Joe, on now. yeah, but see, is Mike really a lefty? Because in baseball, you got I your know. lefties, you got your righties, you got your switch hitters. Yes. true. Mike is too ambidextrous to he be is. a lefty or a righty. He's Mickey but Mantle. He he's lefty. a switch hitter. Yeah, he's he's left-handed, but he does he has that ability to switch hit a little bit. Sure, yeah, I'll give you that. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven-five and twelve eighty. The Zone, Steve Cleveland. Basketball insider coming up in 20 minutes. We will talk more jazz with him. Coming up next, more on the Super Bowl and Tom Brady, the all-time all-timer. And we will get to that next. Man, American football. Will Joe find anything more boring? I think not. But we're going to do it anyway because a lot of you will find it to be entertaining. We'll do that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
Fuller is such a classic rock guy. Been to a Doobie Brothers concert with Fuller, and you for that matter, and PK. And afterward, this woman comes running over to get PK's autograph, and Bowler and I are standing there looking at each other like and PK is just beaming. Basically, your point of this story was how could somebody possibly recognize PK oh, and not, not recognize you and Bowler? Oh, that's not true, <laughs> man. Bowler and I are standing right there in shock. I said we were looking at each other. And thinking... PK's a star. Uh, it's not. No. Why wouldn't I? It's think why that? are you talking to this guy when the great Gordon Monson is standing right here? I'm Gordon Monson. Catch the big show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280, the zone in the Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer strong play of the weekend. Really? The line of scrimmage, the KC8. Here's the snap out of the gun. Play action fake. Pass to Gronkowski. He's going to score a touchdown. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Holy Gronkaboli. He breaks the record. He's got his 23rd touchdown in the postseason from Tom Brady. And a few minutes later, he got his 24th. There's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know what? Today at 450, you can win fabulous prizes. The Bucks to the top of the hill, PK. Started 7-5, finished 8-0. So, at 7-5, there was still a chance. Play your best football in January, and maybe more than ever. It's always true, but in a year where they brought in a lot of new players, Brady wasn't exactly the only guy they brought into that club, and then they didn't get those off-season workouts, and then they didn't get... The summer camp and the four preseason games, so it took them longer. But, man, you start 7-5, you finish 8-0, and you beat that defense controlled Breeze and Rodgers and Mahomes in three straight games to win the title. Yeah, and it seemed like the defense got better with each succeeding week. That was what was very, very impressive. That defense, to me, was something that, wow, man, I didn't realize they were this good. And they were. They literally got better as the season progressed to where they were playing their best ball and had their most confidence in themselves at that point. And to think that they held that Chiefs offense with zero touchdowns, man, I would have bet Joe Ingles' salary that they would have scored (laughs) at least one touchdown. That's a lot of cash. And Joe Ingles apparently is going back at you now. The Texting through Yach. What do you got? (laughs) Well, he heard what you guys had to say, and he said, man, I hate these guys. I'll just just tune in when they get off and the good hosts come on air. Oh, nice. So there you go. There you go. All right. Thanks for that, I hope the Lakers win. (laughs) You do not. (laughs) You know what a championship would do for this show. The last thing in the world you want is the Lakers to win. Of all the things you've learned and morphed on over a couple decades of doing this, he's sitting across from me one day going, hey, you know winning's better than losing, right? I'm like, yeah, I figured that out. Actually, the fantasy with that, they beat the Lakers in seven games. Yeah, absolutely. The series needs to go as long as possible. I was but doing I radio think that when would they be more was, enjoyment beating the Lakers. Yeah, I was I was doing the, I was doing radio when the Jets swept the Lakers in four, and then there was ten days without a game. Hey, hey, we need a game here. Let's go. Did you guys examine the Eastern Conference Finals? Not a little bit, but it was like, come on, let's go, let's go. Yeah, the fantasy would be to take down Lakers. Absolutely, you want to beat the best. What's more satisfying than that? 
Of course you want to take them and down. And it's the Lakers. Isn't, isn't that what was satisfying about Tampa beating Kansas City? See, that's the thing is, Kansas City's the best, but they haven't had this multiple-decade run where the Lakers are just looming over everybody in the West. That's far and away the best team to beat. But it's also, yeah, it, it, it's, the, it's the Lakers and mm-hmm. the hatred against the Lakers and... Shaq representing sort of Laker Nation with his comments. Decades uh, of people about Donovan chip. Mitchell. Yeah. yeah, because I think if you look at Shaq and he moved around, I consider him, uh, you know, my hometown, I consider him a former Phoenix Suns uh, player, but nobody else does. So I think that as we look at Shaq, even though he won in Miami, I still think we're going to think of him as Shaq and Colby. It's like. Lennon and McCartney and, and Batman and Robin and peanut butter and jelly and you name it. Uh, I, I think I think we think of Shaq and Kobe more than any duo in recent uh, or even long-term NBA history. I think we think of Shaq and Kobe going together more than we think of Jordan Pippen. Ooh. More than we think of LeBron fill in the blank, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, whomever it might be, LeBron, whatever. More than we think of Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, uh, you name it. Uh, I don't. I don't think that uh, any any of those duos top what we think of Shaq and Kobe. I think that's how much they were intertwined. Those two guys. I think we, you know, obviously here it would be the statues. They didn't win the title, but people will always – it's like you can't say one without the other. Even in NBA uh, conversation, you know, the, the two guys, and that's great. But I think Shaq and Kobe go together, so I think that Shaq is identifiable as the most of his long career as a Laker. I agree with that. Shaq and Kobe, the only one I argue with is Jordan and Pippen. Shaq and Kobe certainly more than – Wade and LeBron, uh, they won more titles together, they played together longer, they're in more finals together, you know, it's on down the line. But I still think that those Actually, two... Actually, four and four, so that was a wash. <laughs> just did the math on that. Uh, they were both in four finals together, both those. I mean, I just think they were together longer, and partly it's, you know, it's probably regional bias. We're on this side of the country. We're seeing them more often. Yeah, but I, I think Jordan and Pippen... I think it could go Jordan and any number of 30 guys. And whether Jordan's that's Pippen doesn't get the acclaim or whatever. Yeah, but it was Pippen, and it was Pippen for so long. I get your point that if it hadn't been Pippen, it could have been somebody else. And that's probably true. It probably could have been because Jordan was that good. <laughs> and I think most folks think that it had to be Shaq and Kobe. DJ and PK brought to you apart by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com. Coming up next, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Talk about the Jazz winning 15-16 with him next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Jimmy Flowers. Jimmy Flowers reminding you Valentine's Day is Sunday. Flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with Zone, and they can make it easy. Just visit them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's Day is on Sunday. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, jazz fans are a mixed bunch right now. 
Jazz have won 15 out of 16 games, and there are people who are ready to dream. There are the people who are superstitious, do not, just, do not even want us to speak of it, and I don't know how we cannot speak of it because, you know, it's, a, it's radio. If we sit here in silence, that kind of defeats the purpose. And they got the best record in the NBA a third of the way through the season here. What else can you say other than you either have to be a content when you have the best record, you're either the favorite or you're a contender. Realistically, the Lakers are the defending champs. They're a game back. They're the favorite. But the Jazz are at least a contender. In your mind, what's the number one reason they're a legit contender? They're get, I think, more, more than anything. I think they, and I mean, I, I, think, I just think their depth and the consistency by which they've played. Um, Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Conley, Clarkson, uh, Anil, I mean, game in and game out, there hasn't been the real highs and lows like you get in a season. And, and I mean, this, this whole thing with games being postponed and canceled and the COVID and, and for whatever reason, some organizations have struggled more with that than others. Others struggle with injuries. But the Jazz have been kind of free of injury. They've had a few COVID issues, but nothing real dramatic. And they've just been consistent in, in playing together and doing what they've always done. I think the other thing that is, is unique to this season is there's really no home court advantage. And so what happens is this. You take a more experienced, mature team that, uh, you know, could go on the road and have a really difficult time at different places that they're, you know, teams that maybe they don't match up well with. They're able to win these games on the road uh, because – there isn't that influence of a home court advantage like there has been in the past. And with a mature group, a group that's been together, that's unselfish, they play selfless basketball, uh, I think they're going to flourish in, in, in this kind of situation and setup. And I think that uh, it's much like uh, they had the bubble. You know, they, they played well, they didn't play well enough, but this year they're playing better than they've ever played. And, and, and night in and night out, you can pretty much count on Mitchell Bogdanovich, Conley, Clarkson. You know, you're, you're getting 10, 15, 20, what the different averages that they are, but they've been real consistent. So I think that's why you look at this team as a contender. But I, I still believe that the real X factor in this whole thing, and which will have an impact on uh, really, I think who ends up being the NBA champion is number one, uh, COVID. And I think that how that plays out, and if we're going to go back to the bubble, you know, what that's going to look like. And then the teams that have to deal with protocol. The, the, the protocol, you're losing guys, two and three guys a week, and you don't have that continuity. Uh, you can put yourself in a hole so that, uh, you know, maybe all of a sudden a first-round matchup is not one you want. So I think there are things that are impacting it. But the thing for me, most of all, is that they've just been consistent. They're mature. They're a veteran group. They're well-coached. And, uh, and they're playing with a lot of confidence. How much has the three-point shot become an equalizer now? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it is the game. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things. And, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, being in professional arenas when I was younger and, and shooting that thing. And, it you know, it, it seemed like a pretty long way, 25, 26 feet, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, I never thought that it would, when it first came in, I knew that it would impact the game, especially in the college game at, you know, 18 or 19 feet. But uh, it's had a huge impact. And, and what happens is that you can spread the floor with shooters. It makes it so much harder to defend people. I mean, it's kind of like you can't leave this guy, you know, who you're going to help on. 
And hence, you know, we don't see a lot of low post players in, in, in the league. There just aren't. And the, the game is driven by the three-point ball and good defense and transition baskets and scoring. I mean, the scores have been unbelievable. A lot of games in the 130s, 140s throughout the NBA. Uh, but, yeah, it's that, that's, that is the most significant part of the game today that has, has changed professional basketball. I mean, I, I didn't think that it would take off like it is, but you know, now everybody shoots the three. And, uh, and, and you know what? The Jazz got guys that can do it. I mean, Gobert's not really a three-point shooter, but everybody around him is, and, and he knows his role. He, you know, he doesn't need – I mean, when, he, when Gobert gets 20 and 20 and has big nights like that, they're, they're nearly unstoppable. But, I mean, they, they can win without Gobert getting 20 points. Uh, they don't need that inside. Four opens. And uh, guys are playing with a lot of confidence. So I think the thing that's happened with the Jazz that has been encouraging here is not only have they won, but they've lost Joe Ingles for a couple of games, and they kept winning. They lost Donovan Mitchell for a couple of games. They won them both. Now Mike Conley's out, and they win in Indiana, and they don't shoot the three well, but they defend well. They only give up 95 points, and they get 17 offensive rebounds and 24 points off of them. So even though they're missing a guy and they're playing their third game in four days and they're not shooting the three well, they still beat a 500 team on the road. Granted, watered down road, as you point out. But that kind of stuff is encouraging because it's one thing to win when everything goes right. You could probably go back to some of your teams and the most satisfying wins are winning when everything doesn't go right. Yeah, there's there's no question about that, and I think and and the most and thing is those are the types of wins that give you the most confidence and the expectation level. I mean, when obviously every team has great coaches, coaching staffs, but when teams are kind of more player led and they have that kind of mindset that you know we we can do this, we can win on the road with or without an individual, and somebody else has to step up, or we individually we've got to be better. And, and you see that with more mature teams. And, uh, you know, there's not, you start looking at their roster, and I, I, didn't, I haven't done the research on it, but they've been together for a while now, you know. And, I mean, Connolly being the newest member of that team, but a seasoned veteran. It's not like he's, I mean, struggled at times last year, but he's come in and really, Bogdanovich has really, really shot the ball well. Clarkson could start on any team in the NBA probably. Uh, and, and then with, with Mitchell and Ingle and, and others, O'Neal. Uh, and it's, it's nice. I, saw, you know, I can't remember the, the exact name, but Ingle stepped up in a couple of those ball games where you know, he, he ended up having 18, 19 points. And when guys can step up, and I think, you know, I don't think for Joe Ingle that he feels he goes into a game when they're healthy and full that he has to score 20 points. I mean, he'll take the shots that are there. But when guys are missing and he can do that and step into that role, uh, it, it makes them better. But I, I'm, I, I'll just go back to teams that, in, in the collegiate level, it would be teams that have, you know, a lot of seniors, teams that have guys that have played that uh, practices aren't as long, uh, seldom are the mistakes as often as they are when you have younger players. And I, I watch the NBA. I see a lot of new names, a lot of new guys, two-year you know, two players, uh, they're, they're in organizations that don't have the chemistry and have the culture that the Jazz have, and uh, it's it's harder to it's harder to beat teams like the Jazz uh, if you don't have those things. And and we talk about that stuff all the time. That that it's it's important, you know. Well, 
that's true. There are five or six teams in the conference right now or in the, in the league that could win the championship. You know, we could talk about those, who those are. And, and pretty much every one of those situations, they have a really, really strong culture. They have, they have people who know who they are. They know their roles. Uh, they understand the system they're in. Doesn't mean they can't have off nights. Then there's another collection of five or six teams who can get hot and get it going. But to go through a whole series of playoffs and that grind, there's only, you know, there's five or six teams that can do that. And, and Utah is one of them. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think they've been one of those teams. And, and, now, and now I think they are. I think they believe it. I think probably the coaching staff's always felt that. But that's one of the really challenging and important things that a coaching staff can get young people to believe in who they are and and trust it and you know and just be together and the jazz seem to be a team that everybody looks around the league you always hear them talking about you know the maturity of this team not that they're old but the maturity of this team and there's they're, the way they play how unselfish they are and the fact that they're a really good shooting team and as you mentioned earlier david that there's they're, they're garden people they're garden people and when they're not shooting well, and that's the perfect formula for winning on the road when you can guard and rebound and get to the free throw line. So uh, they're doing all the things they got to do, but you're right. I mean, you, you look at the Lakers, you look at the Clippers in their own division. The, those are teams that are going to have to be reckoned with. But it, I've never seen, after 25 so games, <laughs> to see the difference from one year to the next. You know, where you, you're looking at Miami, a team that was in the bubble, in the finals, and you know, they're at the bottom of the standings or to, you know, I, I wasn't sure I was seeing Philadelphia at the top. Milwaukee's back though. Brooklyn, we expect to be there. Boston, uh, you know, those are probably the four teams. I mean, Boston's been playing without Brown for, for a while now and uh, they're, they're still hanging in there. But there's, like I said, there's a collection of six or seven teams. Denver seems to be playing better, but again, they all kind of have, a lot of them just don't have the depth. That uh, or the, or, may, or maybe that additional that third superstar that helps them get over the top. So, but I, I the Jazz, they're they're here. I mean, I start looking who they're playing next week, and uh, I mean they're going to they're they're going to come home and probably be twenty three and five. I mean I, they've got a chance to win every game they play this week. I mean they could lose one, but they're in a really good position to separate themselves, not so much maybe from the Lakers and the Clippers, but from everybody else in the league. How much do you think we've discovered a little bit of a blueprint going forward, maybe even down to the colleges, surround a great defensive player? Now, it's hard to get that great defensive player the caliber of Gobert. I understand that. But maybe go with the philosophy of defense at the rim and then sort of build out from there and make sure that virtually at all times you've got four three-point shooters out on the floor and maybe you lack a little bit of tremendous high-level elite athleticism, but you've got highly skilled guys who can dribble, pass, and shoot combined with that defensive anchor in the middle. No, I really like that thought. And I think that the and when I talk about um, teams that their culture or the maturity of a team, it's, it's when they, they understand what a good shot is and what a good shot isn't, you know, and, and certainly with the shot clock that's going very quickly. Um, I, I think that the one offensive piece that I noticed is that this is a team that it, it's, it's and one and another, you know I mean? It, it, they're going to make the extra pass. 
because they have confidence in each other. And that instills confidence in your teammates. When you are on a team, uh, a veteran team that understands this game, and you can make that extra pass and make one more and trust it, the guy, guy, and the expectation is, hey, man, you shoot it. And there isn't anything like, you know, Donovan Mitchell's a guy that takes all the big shots. Well, that may happen just kind of organically through the course of a game, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's the mindset of this team. They all believe that they can. And, and, and your, your comments on, you know, four, four out, shooting the three, uh, running back cutting action, running Princeton stuff, you know, it's, it's incredible how people pick up in this league. It's kind of a copycat league to certain degrees. I mean, there's only so many things you can do. But spreading the floor, and, and there isn't a team out there that isn't running some Princeton principles with back cuts and uh, curl cuts over the top and back to the ball and things that uh, that were made famous at uh, Princeton in the Ivy League. Those concepts have become part of the four out. Where you spread the floor, you get backdoor cuts, you get layups, you get threes. It's hard to guard. And, and when, when you have, and, and so the post guy isn't that important in that sense. I mean, he can, he can and for for Gobert. I mean, he can set ball screens. Uh, he can dive. He can have ball. He can have uh, back screens for him. Dive into the basket. But spreading that floor, opening that floor allows extra cuts, <clears throat> better spacing, and uh, taking advantage of, of of a team that can really shoot the three. You start playing like that. And I'll tell you what, it, it's hard to – when you get down to a team like that, 8, 10, 12 points, it's really hard to come back. Because they, to just get – if you have to go, really go out and stretch your defense to 27, 28 feet, what, well, they already have a system in place. That's exactly how they want you to play them. So now all of a sudden you dribble at a guy, boom, go to catch, back door, the floor is wide open. And, you know, obviously the help rules and – in the, in the NBA are different than they are in college. And so, you know, you have to be something, you have to be within five or six feet of your man. The floor just opens up when you have four perimeter players and you run good stuff. You know, I, I watched some ugly basketball in the NBA at times where the ball's in one guy's hand and, and everybody stands, they don't move, <laughs> and then they just penetrate. Okay. We, we've all seen that. Yeah. It's like, did you, did you have practice this week? <laughs> I mean, tell me you got somebody that's working with you on offensive principles. But you, that's, I mean, we see teams do this, and to a degree it works, but at the end of the day, typically those aren't teams winning championships. You know, Steve, this whole thought about uh, shooting threes and that's the way the game is going, I wonder how much this is getting. Some of it probably is just kids screwing around do it naturally, but how much coaches are getting them into these kind of workouts when they're really young because – it, you can't just be a catch-and-shoot guy. You know, can you shoot it off the dribble? Can you shoot it going left? Can you shoot it going right? And to the degree they see Steph Curry and just go out and mimic him, they're, get, they're getting the work in. But it seems like if you start putting up a lot of shots every day, off the dribble going left, off the dribble going right, catch-and-shoot, you could. It, it's a skill that I think a lot of kids could add if they just work at it. You know what, I, I, I have grandchildren right now, uh, <clears throat> 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Tw- uh, and uh, one of them is in Utah, and two of them are here, and they're playing IAU teams. And it, it's interesting to see the really high level of coaching that's taking place. Number one, I know my son Casey, 
who played for me and uh, in, in junior college, and, and they got in an accident. They couldn't play. But he, he's coaching these teams. I'm so impressed. I mean, I didn't see this 20 years ago, but I'm so impressed with the – the, the material that's there. I mean, I, I, I look at my, my son, Casey, who's on YouTube and there, there's so much teaching and training and different things that you can learn and pick up and you go and watch 10, 11, 12 year olds. I mean, they're doing things with the ball that we weren't teaching until players got into high school or college. They're growing up with this mindset. They're watching these players play. How, you know, you're, when you're teaching a 10 year old to uh, basically create separation, you know, with a jab, with a dribble, with uh, a back dribble, and those kinds of things, players are going to get better. So the, the young people that are watching this game that are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, they're, you know, I think AAU gets a, a kind of a bad rap to some degree. I mean, there, there is a lot of good things happening in a lot of outstanding AAU programs. And you go and watch those and I've had a chance just to kind of watch those from a different perspective as a grandfather. Uh, it's amazing. Some really, really good teachings going on. And that's going to carry over that by the time these kids are 14, 15 or 16, they know how to create space. They know where the spots on the floor they want to shoot. And I, I tell my grandsons all the time, I said, you do not have to be a great shooter from six spots on the floor. I said, I, I think it was Jerry West said that, uh, you know, whatever he did, he got to two spots on the floor. The majority of his shots, I, where always the intention was to get to one or two spots on the floor where he had complete confidence in. And I've always kind of believed that as a player myself. When I played, I knew the, the, the right wing and the you know, left baseline corner. I knew where I felt comfortable shooting. You know, these younger coaches, they're, they're talking to kids about these things. That's, that's kind of next-level coaching. I mean, I, I know all the things that are wrong with AAU basketball and everything that goes with that, but the teaching is getting better. And, and because there's so much on uh, the internet and, and then you go into towns and communities where they've got some wonderful young coaches in towns across the country who are teaching kids how to create space and do things. And everything's being garnered right now throughout the country to help young people play on the perimeter. And it doesn't matter if they're the tallest kid in the team, or not, but to help them play on the perimeter, figure out ways that they can get into their best shot. Uh, by the use of the, of the ball, by the use of the pass. And so it's kind of fun to watch younger kids. So that, that the NBA is having a great influence. And it's, it's, it's falling down to college as well. You see a way more spread out, uh, focus on the dribble, focus on the pass, ball movement, tons of ball screens. But it used to be, you know, it was just a high ball screen, come off at roll. And, uh, you know, if they switched, you, you could – he could you could come back, pack to him, and and, and uh, rescreen. But now now it's a ball screen, take it deep, come at a guy as if it were a Princeton cut, dribble right at him. He back cuts. I mean, there's four or five things incorporated in the offense today that I really really like. That I I would love to be coaching at this time. And we we use the three ball, and I ran a lot of quick hitters and a lot of sets for for my teams, whereas. A lot of people just let them play and flow. You know, everybody had a different philosophy. But I'm really impressed with the teaching. And the NBA has had a huge influence on that, especially with young people. So, yeah, I, I think that players are going to be way more prepared to play this way. And, uh, and unless they give a two-handed, behind-the-head dunk or 
trick shots inside, I think, and it's worth four points. I think that uh, the three ball is going to continue to be uh, the main course for the NBA for a long time. Last thing before we let you go, Jonathan Tavernari is on Twitter, and he made a comment about Jordan Clarkson. Basically, you know, so much confidence, never met a shot he didn't like, and hit some outrageous stuff. Then JT tweets out, I've had about a dozen people reach out to me directly and say that I actually might have as much, if not more, confidence in myself shooting at basketball than Jordan Clarkson. Am I really that big of a slinger? And I tweeted back at him, your shots are like your opinions. You let them fly. BYU's Clarkson 5, Robbie Reed, JT, Jimmer, and Nick Emery. Twitter, you get to add the fifth. Give me an uber-confident shooter who would never apologize for a shot. You like that list? Get anyone you want to put on it? You want to help Jonathan Tabernary with his self-awareness? You know, you know that I recruited JT to BYU. In <laughs> yeah. fact, he committed, to, he committed to me in my house. And he's a character. And I kind of reconnected with him a little bit because I hadn't been around him. But, yeah, his Twitter is all over the place. <laughs> but, I mean, it's entertaining. Oh, somebody that uh, – are we talking modern-day people? Oh, you got to talk about what I'm trying to think. Um, wow. You talk – well, I, he himself never saw a shot he didn't like. Um, I went with the 25 years I've been watching it, you know, since I've lived here. But uh, other people throughout, Mike Rose, Michael Smith, Danny Ainge. Huh. Matt Carlino got a shout out. You know, uh, yeah, just pure shooters. I, you, know, you know who? Uh, you know who was a was a great shooter that maybe a lot of people don't know. Uh, two people for me that I, I thought were great shooters and ended up playing a long time in the pros was Trent Whiting and Terrell Day. Two guys that played for me who had big time strokes and, and proved it because they played for like. 15 years in Europe, you know, and, uh, and and I think that says a lot about it. I mean, guys can shoot and be in a different setting, but how long did they play, you know, and where did they play? And but I, in terms of, you know, they they shot back in that day, we were shooting as many uh, mid-range shots as we were threes, but those were guys that could really shoot. Mike Rose was, I mean, I watched him shoot and make eight threes in a row in a game one time. I mean, he, he, he had a great stroke. There's, there's so many, been so many great shooters, you know, in the state of Utah where they they seem to flourish and grow. But uh, guys that I coached, uh, I, I would I would say, uh, I mean, I got a couple guys that nobody would know, but for people that would know, there certainly uh, Mike Rose could put it up, uh, and, and Terrell and and Trent were were guys that just got good lift and just made big baskets from deep range, so. Uh, but yeah, you, you got to have them. And uh, yeah, J- JT's carved himself out of ice a little niche. I'm glad you respond. You keep it, keep him in check, would you, Dave? No, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best, but no guarantees. Oh goodness gracious! There, there's a lot of freedom on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do, go to it a lot. Every, I, I, every day I'll check something out because I have so many friends and connections, and a lot of my Twitter stuff is based in. In, uh, in in Utah, so it's kind of fun to see what people are thinking, but everybody's got to be really excited about what's going on with the Jazz, and uh, and I think that, uh, you know, this probably has been the most dysfunctional college basketball year of postponements and cancellations, and the whole COVID has taken kind of the energy and the excitement, no fans, 
But my hat's off to all the college coaches that I know to endure what they're enduring and dealing with what they're dealing. Uh, I, I can't even imagine, you know, finding out a day before, hey, we're not playing games this week because of the COVID protocol. So let's hope this goes away. And at some point we have a wonderful playoff. Have we heard anything? I got a question for you, too. Have we heard anything about conference tournaments? Is there, has there been any discussion about having those or not? Uh, commissioners are quiet. There's been speculation that you know some teams aren't going to want to go. The worst teams may not want to go. It may be too big a headache. And the best teams might be thinking, why would we go and want to risk exposure? We're already in the NCAA tournament. But there's contracts yeah. in place, so you know how do you bail out on those? I mean, you could, but you got to do business with ESPN in the long run. So do you really want to? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. So I, I haven't heard anything definitive. I expect they're going to end up getting played with a lot of angst built in, but they'll play them anyway. You know, it's, it, it's, what's unfortunate is there are teams in your conference where they've played half as many games as, as another team in the conference, and how how they're going to evaluate that, even evaluating the NC2A tournament. I, I mean, I guess they'll just use net and go for it, but it seems like uh, the the protocol could really impact very negatively certain teams who haven't played a full allotment of games who probably might be worthy to get to the tournament. And uh, so, I mean, in, in college football, they figured out a way. They just made the decision and did it. But uh, that's going to be a challenge is for all of these cancellations and postponements. I know BYU's got two games both got postponed against St. Mary's and San Diego. They're going to play Gonzaga tonight, I guess. But, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be a really, really difficult, challenging thing for uh, the powers to be, the administrations, on uh, what this tournament's going to look like and what's fair and what's not fair. And uh, that'll make for more drama at the end of the year. All right. Uh, Steve, we'll let you go on this note. Jeff Judkins heard the discussion. He just texted in a nominee, Jeff Judkins. <laughs> Self-nomination, unrepentant gunslinger. Jetty, <laughs> You know what? Jetty, Jetty, he could shoot it, that's for sure. Uh, you, know, you know, one of these times we'll have to talk a little bit about uh, my game up at the University of Utah. I was a senior at UC Irvine, and Jetty and Jonas and Kiki Burden and, and the boys, we, we went up there in one of those deals where we, we were doing bye games. We were a brand-new Division One team. So next time we're together, let me tell you a couple stories about my first experience playing college basketball at the University of Utah uh, at a senior at Irvine and, and, a, and not a very good team. And uh, it was some funny things involving Jetty and, and Jonas and a few others. <laughs> All right. We'll get to those next week. Right. Hey, thanks a lot, All Steve. Right. We appreciate it. See you, guys. DJ yeah. PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. Well, I think they're all special, and they're all. Uh, it's been an amazing year, amazing year. We got off to a good start, seven and two, and then had a little rough stretch where we kind of found our identity and um, played a lot better football down the last December, January, and um, just really proud of all the guys, proud of all the uh, coaches, the effort we put in. Um, we knew we were playing a great football team tonight, and we got the job done. 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the Super Bowl champs. There's Tom Brady. He is the MVP. Threw for three touchdowns, but only 201 yards. They had the lead. They didn't need to throw it more. The defense was the MVP, but I don't know which one guy you single out on the defense, so they defaulted and gave it to Brady. Well, defensive guys rarely win it. It's a quarterback or a receiver. We know that. For the Bucks, the 7-5 and five start, the eight straight wins, the defense that kept getting better, and Breeze couldn't figure it out, Rodgers couldn't figure it out, Mahomes couldn't figure it out. Mahomes was running for his life. Just glad he didn't get hurt, right? He got hit a lot. I think he was running to avoid pressure. I don't think he was running for his life. Thank you, Mr. Litterlist. Well, that phrase is so overused. He was running for his life. Bruce Arians says uh, he's coming back. He wants to try to repeat next year. Brady is coming back. So we saw the Buccaneers on TV, I think, uh, 13 times. <laughs> you can see it was 12 or 13, something like that. You can see most of their games. You're going to see most of their games again next year. They'll be back now trying to repeat. Tom Brady. Who's had a better career as a team sport athlete? We've had people hitting us up with all the guys who've won the 11 championships in Russell, the 10 with uh, Yogi Berra, but football, different sport, more violent, shorter careers, and now he's changed teams in one. That makes him unique. The other guys all won with one club. That's right, man. I was wondering if you would ask Steve Cleveland that. It's about all. Oh, never mind. But, uh... Yeah, I think that uh, he has had the best career in team sports. I know Bill Russell and those guys, but you look at Russell back when he played, there was no free agency, no salary cap. Red Allback put the team together, and away they went every single year. And now in football, man, you had to change over so many different guys. You couldn't even count all the guys he's thrown passes to. Brady's got seven titles more than any other NFL team. The other elite teams all have five or six, the Steelers, the Niners, the Cowboys, and all that. But no, Brady's got seven more than all of them. I think the only other athlete that I would compare him to is Secretariat. The hoops, he says, ignoring PK. The hoops, the Jazz win again. Why would you ignore me? Three and Because we've had the Secretary debate about 500,000 times. Okay. Utah Jazz 3 and 0 on the road trip, 15 and 1. Dare to dream people, dare to dream. Best record in the NBA at 19 and 5. Nothing is throwing these guys off their game. They lose Ingles, they lose Mitchell, now Mike Conley, they keep winning. Didn't hit the 3 well, but you love their effort on the boards. What was the essence of the debate with Secretariat? Whether he was an athlete or not, because whether if you have to be human to be an athlete. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the offensive rebounding was sensational. Find another way to win if the shots aren't falling. And 61 boards, is that what they had? And then how many offensive rebounds? 17 offensive rebounds. Uh, well, Indiana had, yeah, Indiana had eight, and they scored 24 points off the 17 boards. It's in an eight-point win. Yeah, that's incredible. Obviously, obviously critical. Yeah, and I thought that was just awesome because if those shots aren't falling the way they normally have, find other ways to do it. And if you're going to have the shots not fall, then obviously you're going to have much more opportunity to get that offensive rebound. And they did. 
and they played. Uh, they never let Indiana go on any serious run. Like, you know, they've had some of their losses. We saw Austin Rivers with the Knicks and then the night before in Brooklyn, you know, these big-time runs that these other teams went on. Well, Indiana didn't do that ever. The entire game, entire 48 minutes, they never went on some big run. So the Jazz never really had to exert energy to come from behind and get back in the game. So they didn't have a lot of energy at their disposal. Well, they didn't have to use a lot of energy to be able to find ways to get back into the game. So the energy that they were exerting was to stay in the game and then to push the lead up a little bit rather than having to get back in the game. And a lot of times getting back in the game takes a ton of energy to get to that point, and you'll see a team then that lost the lead quickly get it right back up to 8 or 9 or 10 points. That never happened throughout the entire 48 minutes. What, what did Indiana? What did they lead by? Six points, I think, yeah, was their think biggest so. lead, something like that. Yeah. And so I think that was a significant factor too that they did not have to expend a lot of energy just to get back into the game. They were always in the game and then took control down the end. College basketball: Utah State now leads the Mountain West. Weber State sweeps Montana State, so it's a uh, crazy four-team race in the Big Sky and. Uh, Weber State and SUU are right in the middle of that. And BYU at Gonzaga tonight, 9 o'clock on ESPN. Gonzaga, undefeated. Can the Cougars wreck it, PK? Can they wreck the perfect season? Yes, they can, but will they? I would say no. I think I'd be very much surprised. I mean, Gonzaga has so much firepower. And having spoken to Mark Few a couple times over the years, I had a great conversation with him, not this past tournament, the West Coast tournament, but the tournament before about, because BYU at that point, you know, I think that was they got beaten in the first round or something, or their first round, San Diego got them, and it was a very disappointing end to the season. And so uh, I was there in Vegas going to cover the Utes, so I remember going over to Gonzaga play and have an opportunity to talk to uh, Mark Few alone, and he was talking about the importance of BYU, how BYU is very important for them from Gonzaga's perspective because going to the Marriott Center always gave them an opportunity to test something unlike that they had in the entire West Coast Conference that would help them prepare for the NCAA tournament. So he very much was an advocate for BYU. Now, they're not going to have that there because you just look back to last February, not quite a year ago, it's about two weeks shy of a year when the Gonzaga went in there and BYU won and the environment was just incredible. That won't be there. But that that I don't know what's going to happen in, in all the tournament games are supposed to be in Indiana. I haven't heard anything about fans being in the arenas there, so I don't know what's going to happen. But it's a nice road game for Gonzaga to sharpen up. And I assume BYU can keep it competitive because most of Gonzaga's games haven't been competitive. Now, Pacific did lead. Uh, decently into the first half and the mm-hmm. last time against Gonzaga, but then Gonzaga won going away. But few enjoys this opportunity to take his teams into the Marriott Center. Well, at least for one night, even though the fans thing is obviously everything's different this year, but at least it'll be in an arena and not in a gym. And it's totally different for all the shooters being in some massive place that seats 20,000 instead of some uh, small place that seats uh, three to five to 6,000. All right, DJ and PK, that game's coming up tonight, 9 o'clock on ESPN. When we come back, 
your feedback coming up next. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Minky Couture. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blankets with the code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Leighton, Draper, Orem, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. PK. Right down there at 1280 The Zone, one of your brothers in uh, entertainment, Jake Scott hates Tom Brady. Jake Scott hates Tom Brady. You know somebody. Come on. Jake Scott, lighten up. Time for your feedback. Thanks for using the app. Using the open mic. Send us your takes. All right, PK, we got multiple questions out today. People have been reacting to 15 out of 16, 3-0 on the trip, winning without key players. When is the time to start dreaming? Chippianitis says, after games with the Lakers, Clippers, and Nuggets, he wants to see them against the best in the West. Right now they're 1-1 against those teams, right? Beat the Clippers, lost to Denver. The best in the West? Assuming the Nuggets are the best in the West. They've sagged a little bit here the last couple games. They beat the Nuggets. They beat the Nuggets. So they're 2-1. We've got. Uh, well, I think that uh, right. at this point, I would be surprised the rest of the season, our series, or no season, excuse me, that they're not battling for the number one seed. Certainly, number two seed. I mean, I would be surprised. Not a whole lot of difference between two and three, uh, but uh, I would think that the rest of the season, barring injury and COVID and whatnot, who knows how that's going to play out. But all things being equal, to me, they've proven enough that they are going to be in consideration, strong consideration, for top three seed, maybe top one. Seems like that's the way with the Clippers losing uh, to the Sacramento Kings. The Clippers now three games behind the Jazz in the loss column, two and a half games back in the standings. That's uh, not a lot of separations. It's starting to get a little bit of separation there. Interesting to see if they can uh, right. handle them head to head and and really get some serious separation and and the tiebreaker if they're tied and all that stuff. That's coming up. Yeah. My guess would be it would be hard to get serious separation. Derek says, uh, "Dreaming. I've already been dreaming for years. I'm just now starting to pinch myself to see if it's real." Right now, it's real. Contender is real. Favorite is uh, yes. favorite is something that's still. I, I don't know that they can accomplish that. Uh, can I they agree. do something to because because the Lakers are defending champ, and they'll always no matter what happens in the regular season, there will be a lot of people possibly correctly saying, "Yeah, but LeBron's going to turn it on in the playoffs. He's pacing himself now. He doesn't need the one seed." He's done it before without the one seed. He can do it again without the one seed. I don't think anybody needs the one seed who's going to win the title. Uh, the only thing that I could think of that would put the Jazz a favorite is a seizing and an injury to LeBron, which I would not want to see. Right. Ryan says, I'll start dreaming after we beat the L.A.s. Three games coming up with the Clippers and Lakers, two with the Clips, one with the Lakers uh, later this month. So that's it. He wants to see some head-to-head with the okay. L.A. teams. Uh- and you can get more uh, evidence, ammunition, but win or lose, that doesn't mean you're going to win or lose four times in the postseason to either of those ball clubs. 
That's a true story. Playing him in the regular season will give you more info than you have now, and you can make a better educated guess, but it's still an, an educated guess because the playoffs are just different. If for no other reason than the preparation and focus when you play a team seven times in a row over two weeks. I mean, you, you play them in the regular season, you never know who's coming in on a back-to-back, who's had to travel, how much yeah. time have you had to get ready. And when you've played a team three times in a row and you're getting ready for that fourth game, I mean, I guess if the series is 3 0, it's pretty much over. But if it's 2 1, there's a level of knowledge that cannot be replicated in the regular season. Even if you've both been off for two days leading up to the game, it's still not the same thing. So. Right. A seven game series against two teams that are at least somewhat evenly matched, that's pretty intense. M-Dub457 says, I'm dreaming already. I've never seen a Jazz team this enjoyable to watch and this dominant. And I think that's, that's the combination right there. The level of basketball they play is really pretty, and they're very good. And so you, you've never seen a Jazz team, uh, the 90, I guess you have to go back to 98, 99, 97, 96, 97, 98, 99. For those four years, the Jazz were... Right there at the top of the West. The last time they were off to start this good was 99. 98 team was awesome after Stockton came back from his knee surgery. He missed 18 games. So for me, that'd be the last time it was comparable. I think that if I'm going to use the word never relative to the Jazz, I don't think that I've seen a team that can win a ball game this many ways with this franchise, this many weapons. They can do it with a three-point shot. They can do it with their defense. They can crush you on the backboards. Got a lot of different things they can do. And and have so many guys to be able to do it from the offensive perspective. Beat you, beat you with their depth. Hey, we'll play your starters to a push, but then yeah. when your yeah, yeah, bench yeah. comes in, our bench will crush you. Yeah, with Clarkson doing his thing and, yep. and Joe playing at a high level. Mm-hmm. And, Favors. and Yang can give you a few. And obviously Favors is uh, the best uh, backup center that they've ever had, right? All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. It's Gonzaga and BYU tonight. We'll see you tomorrow after that game. And we'll get you ready for the Jazz and the Celtics tomorrow on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.